And now, live from the studios of Freedom's Phoenix, Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! No fear, no fear, no fear here and declare your independence with me, Ernest Hancock, here in Phoenix, Arizona, F in the BEA, beautiful studios of Freedoms with an S, Freedoms Phoenix, uh, uh, <clears throat> All right, we'll do better next time. All right, we have Stefan Kinsella on and at StephanKinsella.com. S T E P H A N K I N S E L L A. Stefan Kinsella. Now, years ago, uh, we spent quite a, quite a few hours with him on the show uh, when it first really started becoming a, a big thing. Stefan's out there kicking ass on this intellectual property thing. Well, it's getting to where, yeah, the patents and inventions and pride, you know, how did you build an idea on an idea of whose idea and kind of in this new technology of an idea and now we patent and so only we, we can do the idea. Anybody else does the idea whether we do it or not, you're not allowed to do it. And I'm going, um, that sucks. I hate hate that. Now, then we get into copyright, which is another intellectual property claim of I I wrote it down on a piece of paper first and I did the song and it's mine. And you're not allowed because you're not. Well, this is, you know, it, it, it brings up the pirate party. I mean, heck, you know, in Europe and they were doing all this, that was all about online privacy and, and uh, freedom and I can do whatever and pirate bay of this going to be a pirate and pirate. You know, PiratesWithoutBorders.com. That's us, man. Woo! We're going to go pirate. I need pirate currency. I need pirate communication. I need pirate. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't do that one. That That's uh, protected by when we got some government agent with a shiny badge and a gun and says you can't do that because you can't. This guy said. And I'm going, I, I'm, I'm tired of looking, you know, to see what I can and can't do. Yeah, I go to the blue pages of what government agency for going to like give me permission to something. Or if I got an idea... Can I even publish it? Somebody ever thought of it? And you can't. Nope. The bottom of all shoes must that are red belong to this company. And you're not allowed to do it. I mean, I'm just I, ugh, I hate this crap. So what we're going to do today, a good friend of mine is uh, an acquaintance. Uh, Alan Corwin is an author here in the Valley, and he's generally does a lot of um, he writes a lot of books. You know, it's been dozens, dozens, I, you know, a bunch. And he does a lot on the Second Amendment. Now, he is uh, wrote a lot of very powerful books that has had um, an influence in the space, certainly on Second Amendment issues. And, you know, he goes to the Supreme the Supreme Court. He gets invited. He gets to sit there and play journalist. And you guys make the arguments about whether or not I write a book about it. So his whole thing is like, that's my books. You know, somebody starts taking pieces of my books out, even the state of Arizona started using it and, you know, in their forest service of a uh, little pamphlet to go, hey, that's, you know, you, just take, you didn't give me credit. I'd go, that's my, 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 my words. Well, he gave a presentation at a discussion group that I do just this last month, and it was obvious to me that he was doing research and had read some of uh, Stephen Kinsella's work because he came back, well, 
damn libertarians say this and that, but I think, I go, you know, uh, you want to duke it out. We'll just get Stefan on. You can come on for an hour. Now, he's going to go on from the bottom of this hour to the bottom of the next hour. The way his schedule works is 730 to 830 here. You know, in the mid of the show. And then we got Stefan for uh, a whole two hours. Well, this is what I want to, this battle when, you know, um, when Alan comes on, he has an opinion. And a lot of people share this opinion. Now, some people change their opinion. You know, it's getting more freedom oriented. But, you know, uh, he thinks that whatever's in his head and God darn it, if he wrote it down, it's freaking his. And protected by the government, man. So I'm going, ah. so that's the battle we're going to have. Now, Stefan has published numerous articles and books on intellectual property law, international law, and the application of libertarian principles to legal, legal topics. He received an LLM in international business law from King's College London, a JD from the Paul M. Herbert Law Center at LSU, and BSEE and MSEE degrees from LSU, and he's been published and on the Council of and Director and thing all over the world. I mean, you know, his opinion means something to a lot of people. Stefan, how far off am I? Is there something else you want to add to that? No, that's perfect. Okay. Go, ti- go Tigers. All right. This is what this is what we're going to do today. My thing is, is that uh, it was obvious that Alan, in the preparation for his presentation, came across a lot of stuff that he did not anticipate. And I guarantee a bunch of it was you. And he reads it. He's like, and you could see that. You know, he had a cognitive dissonance as he was talking in his head, so he wants to carve out intellectual property for copyright. He doesn't want to talk yep. about, you know, the patents and inventions and all this other stuff that I think is, well, nothing will get invented if you don't. I go, BS. It's what's stopping a lot of innovation. I'm so sick of this control thing on our brains. So now with copyright, define for the audience what we're going to be talking about. What's the difference in copyright? Me? You want me to do this? Please. Yeah? Hello? Yes, yes, please. Yeah, so a patent is a, is a grant the government gives uh, to inventors. That is, uh, uh, inventors of inventions. And an invention is like a practical, useful machine or process okay, that has some practical result or practical application, like a mousetrap or a computer or a carburetor or a software program. Uh, copyright is a type of grant given by the government to authors of creative works. Okay, and examples of that would be uh, a novel, a uh, uh, a painting, a movie, a song, and they are they last much longer than patents. Patents expire after about seventeen years. Copyright expires after over 100 years in most cases because it's the life of the author plus 70 more years. Okay, when did that change? That was not that, the way it used to be, was it? <clears throat> no, something called the Founders Copyright, but the copyright at the beginning of the uh, uh, of the Republic. Uh, you know, the Constitution was ratified in 1789, and within a year or two, the uh, Congress had enacted uh, both a copyright and a patent statute, and the terms for both were about 14 years originally, and that was based upon, believe it or not, the the, the term of an apprentice, which was seven years, the idea was that you should get two two apprentice terms because you know your apprentice is going to learn your secrets. <laughs> so you need at least a seventeen a two print two apprentice term monopoly on these ideas. And uh, and the patent term hasn't changed very much, but the copyright term has slowly expanded over the decades. Uh, basically, every time Mickey Mouse exactly. 
I was yeah, just thinking, I go, Mickey Mouse, they're going, Disney is kind of, they're going, nope, and then for never and always, well, we got, uh, Dis- Walt Disney died, uh, I don't know, decades ago, you know, we're com- coming up maybe in my lifetime, you know, all of a sudden it's going to be 70 years after his death, does Mickey Mouse go uh, open source then? Yeah, I think one of the most recent ones was uh, the Sonny Bono. You remember Sonny and Cher? You know, Sonny Bono was a Republican congressman, the one that was too stupid to wear a helmet. He hid himself on a tree and got killed. But uh, before he died, he gave us the Sonny Bono Copyright Extension Act, I think in the 80s. And uh, that added 20 more years onto the term. Um, and uh, it had actually retroactively covered some things that had already gone public domain, but they got put back into the copyright sphere. What? Give me an yep. example. I can't remember an example, but there were some court cases challenging it, and uh, and the, the the people challenging it lost, and so the work still, and the, and now what we're doing is because our term is twenty years longer than most other countries. Now we're trying to force these other countries to add twenty more years, uh, like when in the TPP, that thing that Trump killed, yeah. and in bilateral trade agreements and, yeah. and other trade agreements. So we use these trade agreements to push our version of IP onto the rest of the world. I call it a type of IP imperialism. Um, and, uh, you know, this is one of the worst things about these trade agreements that, you know, IP has nothing to do with trade. That's the local property rights of a country shouldn't even be part of a trade agreement. Okay. Now this is a really good example. You go to China, you're uh, Shenzhen, which is, uh, on the mainland across from Hong Kong. They have, I don't know, tens of millions of people, you know, it's just a bustling thing. And, you know, cop- copyright that you shouldn't be copying. That'd be bad. And this agreement that would be bad. And you go to this five story building and it's all full of DVDs of all the Hollywood, you know, just released to bite me. You know, now what? So I'm they go, see, they're cutting in. I'm going, yeah, well, now it's streaming. I got my Cody and I just go watch whatever I want. What are you going to do about that? Somebody's got to die. They got to die. How are we going to do this? You know, but what should be done? That's what we're going to be talking about. How should it be? We'll be right back. Crimes of the Crown by Captain Mark. The crown casts the world in shadow and claims to be our guiding light. Cowards clamor for security from boogeymen and ghost stories. Well, I say these hobgoblins are imaginary. I say those they propped up as our liberators are now subsisting on our bondage. I say there is freedom in the black, and that's exactly where we intend to go. The Crown banishes its own officers for exposing its crimes and tortures dissidents to the brink of madness. It dominates the globe and swallows the wealth of generations, leaving only blood and excrement. The Crown calls it piracy to explore frontiers beyond its grasp. So the time has come for us to define the conduct among pirates. I say the crown has trampled our necks long enough. Need decentralized solutions to centralized problems? Looking for a community of like-minded scoundrels? Or just want some swag to let the crown know what you think of it? Join the conversation at pirateswithoutborders.com. We won't be hard to find. Pirates, pirates, pirates. Go to pirateswithoutborders.com. And one of the big things that we're really emphasizing, we have like the first letter of Captain Mark, the second letter of Captain Mark, as in Mark and Reprisal. And Reprisal is kind of the trinity to the Neo character kind of thing. Well, uh, Reprisal, the first letter of Reprisal is going to be anti-war. We're working on this weekend. Within the next week or so, we'll publish the third letter of Captain Mark, which will be on communication, which will include 
um, copyrights and so on, because our whole point is, whatever you're going to do, it can't have the crown deciding this and changing the goalpost and doing this kind of crap all the time. So in our, you go to pirateswithoutborders.com, and you'll see these letters there, and some of them are read by, you know, um, uh, you may know the bad Quaker, uh, Ben Stone. He does a really good job uh, doing, you know, Arizona Pirates. So this copyright thing is a big part of the communication category. That's why it's timely that we do this, because starting this weekend, we're going to finalize the letter. Now, I'm looking at, um, uh, it, 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 it's really moot, you know, it's getting to the point with streaming and MP3s or files just going around. You're going to have to come up with another funding mechanism and sell lunchboxes or something because the way this is working, it's done. So then what do they say? Well, you know, movies won't get made if we don't have, and you'll never get the movie made if there won't be one. You're confusing me with someone that cares. And two, there's a whole bunch of other ways to do it. And that was what I, you ever heard of the movie Iron Sky? You ever seen that, Stefan? I did, yes. Uh, that do you know how that was made and funded? If I recall, it was a uh, crowdsourced. Right now, these guys said, "You know, screw your distribution. No, we're not going to put it in the theaters. Yeah, bite me. We're going to do crowdsourced funded of kind of now. You know, Iron Sky Two, the coming race is coming with Hitler on his T Rex. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So I'm going, yay! So I, you know, funded it. I think I paid forty, fifty bucks or something to get the hat, the T shirt, and a and a Blu-ray one of these days or something, right? So I go, you know, yes. Well, these get funded totally differently. Well, they don't like that. The studios want to have control. Well, now we got Sony or China comes in and buys up all the intellectual we got, and now we can just make whatever we want or we control. See, I don't under, uh, understand what the big aversion is other than it's like monopolies trying to use government protection to eliminate competition. And I'm, But against what? So Alan wants to really focus on the... Um, uh, the concept, should there be intellectual property? Can it be enforced? My thing is, that, look, you can't enforce it anyway, so what's the difference? But they go, no, got to have a should, and they're taken from me, and they should stop, and ouch, quit it. And I'm, you know, so that's what we're having the discussion about. Now, when we come back, you know, I want to, you know, keep going on the history of it and how it keeps expanding for Disney, you know, and what, you know, uh, damage that does. All right, we're oh, coming right back. Are we? We're not live now. No, okay, no, no. Got we're got coming it. right oh, back now. Okay. LRN.FM. No, I'll let you shows. talk LRN.FM. <laughs> to be a part of the show, call 602-264-2800. 602-264-2800. And now, Ernest Hancock. Love is a burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring. Yeah, we're going into the ring of fire. This, by wild desire. you know, this is a big issue with a lot of people. You know, they're like, oh, you can't, oh, it's one of the last things to hold on to. And they'll go, hey, man, the Constitution says, it says, it says copyright. It, it, right there, it said the word copyright. we got to have one. And the flames went higher. Yeah, it keeps getting higher. But. You know, the problem is, is that it's always changing. You know, you have this copyright concept of I get and you're not allowed and I get to make the money and fun. Then, okay, then it's out there for everybody and they keep changing it. The Congress keeps changing it because you got people, these interests, big industries like the, you know, uh, what are they, MPAA, you know, they're always on your YouTube. I, I do that right there. 
You're not put on you. They go, oh, I'm flagged. You're not. So screw them. I don't do it there. You know, because this is always this IP stuff. They're right. They're always wondering. I heard five seconds of Led Zeppelin, man. You're gigged. I'm going, no. So this copyright, give me the concept that you think intellectual property as far as copyright is um, uh, should be handled. Um, what's been its history? Stefan, you know, educate us. Well, sure. Uh, so it, this started with the printing press, okay? Uh, before the printing press, you know, books had to be hand copied by scribes, and this was done under the auspices of the church and the king, the crown, so they could control which books were going to be published. When the printing press came out, you know, about the Gutenberg printing press, then the monopoly was under threat. So what what the, the government did, say, in England was they had this thing called the Stationers Company. So it was like an officially chartered company. I think it lasted about 150 years or so, and it had the monopoly on which books could be printed. But then when its charter expired— What do you mean a monopoly on which you mean you couldn't print another book unless you went— then, what, It was a royal, we are the printer guys, and you're not allowed? Yeah, yeah, there was one company that had a monopoly on printing, and you had to go through them, and they were under the control of the church and the crown. Ew. Okay, and so when of they're— Of course they were. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so if you're an author of a book, you need to go through them, and you need to watch what you say. Otherwise, your book won't be published. So Martin right? Luther didn't get to you know, have them print his uh, Bible. Well, okay, so after the stationer's company, uh, their monopoly fell, and Martin Luther, I guess, was Germany, so I'm talking about England here, right? Um, uh, the history in Europe is somewhat similar, okay. but the, the, the rough history which led to our constitution was that uh, in 1709, by then you ha had a publishing industry had built up around this uh, – the printing press and the, and the stationer's guild, stationer's company. Uh, and so when the, when the charter was going to expire – they lobbied the parliament to enact something called uh, the Statute of Anne, 1709, and that basically was like one of the first modern copyrights. And okay, what now it when did, did this start? This is 1709 that they do, uh, you know, extension. But when did the first uh, charter by the king they lay hands on? They get to be the only publisher. When did that happen? Well, I think the stationers company started maybe 150 years before, right, right around the time of the printing Man, press. Man, as soon as okay, so as soon as there was the printing press, as soon as there was a fax machine, as soon as there was email, as soon as there was the web, there's government sitting there saying who can and can't something. Yeah, and there's a great article on this by Carl Fogel. Uh, from uh, uh, questioncopyright.org. It's on his site, and I have a link to it on my site, c4sif.org, Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom. It's on the resources page. But in any case— I'm sorry, I'm um, writing this down at Carl yep. Fogel. It's C-A-R-L-F-O-G-L-E. -E. Uh, I think it's C. Yes, Carl Fogel, F-O-G-E-L. And okay. I've got his his, his 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 article link. He's a great what, guy. What's the name of the article? I'm going to have, have Donna put I it up in a second called, right now. Uh, uh, it's it's I forgot the name. It's something like uh, the 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 surprising origins or history of copyright, something like that. But okay. it's it's his website is questioncopyright.org. But if you go to my site c4sif.org/resources, I've got that article linked right there. You got it. Okay, Don's but, getting that up in the second hour right now. We want to you know they're, they're going to learnify us. We have it for everybody. Okay, continue. I yeah. apologize. And in a commercial, I can I can send you the link if, if you don't find it. But in, in any case, in 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 the statute of Anne, the copyright was given to authors instead of to the publishers, right? But it's it reverted right back to the publishers because of the way the publishing industry worked, which is why we've had up until fairly recently, you've had this gatekeeper role of the publishers. 
and the same system with the studios in Hollywood and with the music industry. Uh, you've had basically artists who have been beholden to uh, the, the gatekeepers, the, the publishing industry, right, which is reliant upon copyright for their business model. And, of course, they take most of the profits for most for most artists. So up until recently, we've had this copyright system. Now, in the U.S., when the Constitution was, ratif- uh, was, uh, was drafted in 1787, ratified two years later um, by 11 states, not 13, as most people erroneously believe, uh, the, uh, it had a clause saying that Congress shall have the power to protect the works of, of, uh, of artists and, uh, and inventors for their you know, for their works for a limited period of time. So they were sort of giving a nod to the statute of Anne of 1709, and they were also giving, uh, basing, basing it upon the statute of monopolies of 1623, which was the origin of, of modern patent law in England. And notice they called it statute of monopolies. So they, they admitted that patents were monopoly grants by the government. Um, well, so that's a these, little badge you got to wear on their chest, man. The, the king granted you get monopoly of uh, I'm better than you. I mean, that's exactly what this thing is. Yeah, or you're the only guy that can sell buttons in this area. Or you're yeah. the only guy that can sell, uh, you know, export sheepskin. Uh, and then if, if anyone else, or you're the only one who could sell playing cards. And so then you would have goons of the of the of the crown bust into a a pirate shop who was selling unmarked cards or, or you know unstamped cards and arrest these people. They were they would put people to death in France if they sold a button or something that wasn't approved by the guilds. It was crazy. It was complete protectionism, completely antithetical to free markets and private property rights. Okay. Okay. So basically, the copyright statute was enacted, and we had fourteen year terms. I think it could be doubled. It could be extended one time, so up to twenty eight years. But you had to register it. That was a big difference between uh, then and our modern system. You had to register it. You had to actually go to the office and apply. So the, the benefit of that was the presumption was something wasn't copyrighted unless it was actually on the registry books of the Library of Congress. You follow me? Yeah. So at least you could tell whether a book was copyrighted and who, who owned the copyright. So you would know who to go to for permission. There was a well, form. In the late 1800s, there was something called the Berne Convention agreed to by most of the European nations, and America resisted that for almost 100 years because – did what we call abolishing formalities. The formality would be registering it and putting a copyright notice on it. So what that means is when we finally acceded in the 1980s to the Berne Convention, so we, we're part of it now too, this means that copyright now is automatic. Like as soon as you write something down on a piece of paper, you have a copyright in it. You don't have to make it public. You don't have to put a copyright notice on it. You don't have to file a registration for it. So you can't copyright something anymore. Everything you do is copyrighted, basically. Okay, now, let me inject here. This was something that Alan did at his presentation. He gave everybody a pen and a piece of paper. You go fold it in half. Okay, now here's the front cover of your book. Write on there, you know, the title of your book and buy whatever, and then open it up and put, the, you know, like three of table of contents. You do it, he goes, there you go, you're just copyrighted. You wrote it down, you got copyright, you got a sanction of the king because you just did it and kind of don't you feel good about it in the copyright. And I'm going, so it's automatic and it does, and I'm, you know, so am I feeling better now? I, I wrote it down. It's out there, and somebody can steal my freaking great new title of whatever, and I don't care. So we're going to talk about the mechanism. Since time began, tyrants. Yeah, that's uh, sorry. I just want to get to the end there. The um, uh, that's what he did. Exactly what you're talking about. And he wanted to emphasize that that it was automatic. And I'm going. He's, he's correct. I go. Yeah, he's so. Correct. 
Yeah, so? That's a bad thing. It's, it's a horrible thing. I mean, you know, I'm going, you know, like write it down that you can't have that title because I already got that title and I wrote it here with a witness that signed it. I got that title. And I'm going, that is, I'm, I'm, when you're dealing with, you know, anybody, I mean, two people, but I mean, certainly, you know, billions of people, I'm, and there's no, there is no original idea. I mean, that's pretty, it's just who does it first, you know? Uh, um, you know the problem with the automatic is it gives rise to this orphan works problem where where there's there's millions of books out there and we don't really know who owns the copyright because they didn't have to register them and the authors are dead or long gone and no one knows who to contact and so people are afraid to publish these out of print books because the air, some heir might show up and sue you but you don't know who to contact ahead of time. You know, so there was a um, in the beginning of the Revolution. I remember, so it had to be oh seven, oh eight, or something. There was a guy in New York, a libertarian. That that's what he did. He had a publishing company that anything that was in the public domain or old works or whatever, he was you know just printing them, making them available, putting them in nice binding of whatever the hell, and um, he was just selling them. He's like, yeah, he, and people. People do that now with uh, books that Google Print has liberated uh, because if they're old enough and you know that they're out of copyright, okay. So if it's if it's more than say X years old, you know that it's out of copyright. But for books that were published, let's say a book that was published in, in 1940 or 1920 that's still under copyright, but you don't know who to contact to get permission, people are afraid to publish them, or they do it they do it uh, taking a risk of, of being sued. Okay, well, what about Doctor Zhivago or some of these old books? I don't know if they're old enough yet, but I mean, uh, you know, just some of these old classics, you know, Frankenstein or something. Can I print a gazillion copies of that and put my logo on it and if, sell? If, if it's out of copyright, you could, but you have to. You, there's a cop, there's all these copyright uh, sherpas or calculators online. You can you enter in the publishing date and a couple of other facts, and it'll tell you whether it's still under copyright. Because there was lots of these transitional regimes, and it's hard to keep track of exactly when. Okay, now what am I looking? If I put uh, Frankenstein, no, what you what you would do? Well, yeah, first you look up when Frankenstein was published, so you just need the publication date, and then you would. They would look up copyright term calculator. Google that, and you'll find a couple, and you could just enter the information in, and it'll tell you whether it's in the public domain or not. Okay, now what am I looking for? I was looking at the date. It was 1851 or something. That was a long time ago. Yeah, so look at the, the copy. Look at the copyright date and and or the publication date. Yeah, what was that site you said? It was copyright what? I would just Google copyright term calculator. Copyright term calculator. Boom. Okay, you're getting Alan. Uh, hey. Hey, Alan, hold on a second. We're in the break, and we're getting right to it. Okay, copyright term calculator, blah, blah, blah. Go to try now. I go here. I can hear you, Ernie. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Just hold on. We're, you know, setting something up. They got a, a copyright uh, calculator. I can see of... a static picture of Stefan. Yeah, you're good. Stefan, can you see me or hear me? Let's see here. I'm actually not looking at the. Uh... Yeah, yeah, not... I, I do see you. I don't have my video on. I, I didn't think I was supposed to put my video on. No, you don't have to. It doesn't matter. I got you know. Go uh, ahead, grab... put it on. Let's uh, let's see each other. Yeah, I thought it might be a bandwidth problem, but no, I'm here. Oh, there we go. All right. I'm using uh, the microphone in my machine. That's how I usually do Skype. Is that okay? Ah, uh, yeah, it's a little echoey, but yeah. See, we got graphics here also. You know, take a look at the screen. <laughs> you can see there's graphics. Everybody. Blah, 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 blah. See, this is probably gives more information as you guys are talking. So we can do the video a little bit, but let's go ahead and, uh, you know, we'll keep Nice that to up. make your acquaintance, Stefan. You too. 
Alan? I've read, I've read some of your work. Have you read any of mine? I, I, I didn't hear your last name, to be honest. Sorry. Corwin. What is it? Corwin. Okay, we're, Corwin. we're back. Okay. We've been yakking, and it's come back, and this is what we've been doing. Alan Corwin like, is on learning. with us. Alan Corwin is on with us. Let me go and give you a quick intro of Alan. He's a full-time writer who's three... Decade background includes work in business, legal, news, entertainment industries. Mr. Corwin wrote the business plan to raise $5 million in venture capital and launch the in-flight catalog Sky Mall. He did the uh, publicity campaign for Pulitzer Prize cartoonist Steve Benson on his fourth book, Where Do You Draw the Line? Invited twice to the U.S. Supreme Court to observe oral argument in Second Amendment gun right cases, which uh, you know was, was a book that was uh, well-received. And he's written 10 of his 14 books on that subject and is among the leading national experts in that field on on uh, gun rights. Now, and then he goes on. He has he does a bunch of other stuff. And Alan Corwin, a good friend, that's here in the valley. But definitely, he's kind of he's kind of leaning more and more and more and more. And all of a sudden, he starts saying he's libertarian. But he's got this copyright thing going on. So we're looking at this. And one thing that we're looking at is the copyright calculator. Then I'm going. Where is this uh, limit? Well, if I look at Frankenstein. And it's published back in the guy was 1850, I don't know, the 1800s, early in the 1800s. And then all of a sudden, how many years have to go by before I can just take all that and print it and do it and sell the book and put, put a pirate face on it? I mean, you know, I can do whatever. Well, it keeps changing. Well, in the Constitution, it has the word copyright. Man, Alan, tell you all about it. So, Alan, go ahead and you know do your introduction and what your position is, and we'll get into it with Stefan. Well, thank you, Ernie, and it's always a pleasure to be with you, Stefan. A, a real honor to be with you and maybe uh, explore this issue. Uh, when I was asked to do a presentation on this, I've been a copyright practitioner for decades, and I was actually surprised to find that libertarians who are vigorous defenders of private property rights, which I think is the correct position to take, are mixed about whether uh, intellectual property is real, whether it deserves protection, whether copyright is real. That, that actually shocked me, the idea that anybody can question whether copyright is real, whether authors own their works. Uh, I read your uh, uh, paper on intellectual property, and I'd like to ask you some questions about it, help clarify it, maybe help me understand it better. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind, at least at the moment, that copyright is real, that it's protectable, it's a bundle of rights. I own them as the creator. I heard Ernie mention that I had the people at this presentation create a copyright of their own, start a book right there in the room. They all started a book. And they own it by the fact that they created it. Uh, of the three types of property, uh, realty, which is land and what's on it, uh, personality or chattel, movable personal property, and uh, a variety of names, but intellectual property, which is a bundle of things, or what I call mentality, things you create in your mind, these are all very real. They're all entitled to protection. They all have value. They can all be bought or sold, and apparently you don't feel that intellectual, or, or clarify it for me, intellectual property is real. You can buy it, sell it, own it, trade it, license it, do things with it, and the idea that people can steal it 
and that's okay. I don't get it. If somebody takes my song, performs it somewhere, makes a million dollars, and that's their money, not mine, or there isn't some division of the money they got from my property, maybe you can help me understand why that's sure. okay. Sure. Most of the world accepts that copyright is real, that my right to copy it rests with me, and that I can license it or sell it or let them use it. But if they use it without me, there's an injustice in that. And I'm Got not it. talking about the law per se. Okay, I'll let him go. Let him go ahead and respond before about- we run out of this segment. Go ahead, Stefan. Give him what first. Go ahead. Let me make a couple of fairly short assertions, and then you can uh, uh, you can respond uh, when we have maybe after. Uh, first of all, the, co- the Constitution does not mention the word copyright. It says to promote the progress of science and the useful arts right. by securing for to- a limited time to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their writings and discoveries. Okay, right. so that's what gives Congress the authorization. I wouldn't deny copyright is real. It is a real law that exists because Congress has enacted a copyright statute, uh, which is rooted back in the statute of Anne from 1709 or 10, as we mentioned earlier, which is rooted in the uh, in the in the prior monopolization of the printing press and the scribes by the government and by the church. Um, so the question for me is not whether it's real. I, I agree that it exists and that you can get copyrights in a book. Um, I think you're wrong to say. To use the word steal just as a legal matter because even under the current law, if you copy someone's book, it is not stealing. It's considered copyright infringement, Okay, and there are damages payable, but it is not stealing. Even the Supreme Court has recognized this. It's not stealing, and it's not taking because if I copy what you wrote, you still have what you wrote, so I'm not taking something from you. You could say I'm taking your customers or I'm taking money that you could have made, but that's a different issue. Okay, okay. But, so stealing is actually just legally the wrong word. And also, as a as a legal geek, technical matter, you're wrong to say there are three types of property: uh, immovable or realty, and personality or movables, and then this other category. As a as a legal matter, uh, copyright is classified as a as an incorporeal or an intangible movable because the way the division between movable and immovable works is that. Everything that's not immovable is movable. That's just the way it works. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's so if it's land, it's immovable, or something incorporated into the land. Everything else is movable. So if you're going to call copyright a property right, it is actually movable, which makes no sense. I know, which gets to the problem with the idea of uh, property in ideas. To call an idea movable makes no sense anyway. So let's but, start with the first one. Uh, I can trace copyright back to 560 A.D. Yes. The legal history is 1,400 years old. The uh, Statute of Anne in 1709 is the Western Civilization yes. Statute, but it goes yes. back to the church and recognition that an author owns the author's work. So the legal history is quite old, not just It's actually, it's actually, a, it's actually about 1,000 years older than that, Alan. Uh, in about 400, 500 B.C., there was a Greek city-state, Sybaris uh, uh, or something like that, and they had a, a, co- a cooking competition, and whoever won would get a monopoly on their on their recipes for a year. So, I mean, the idea is pretty old. So when we're done, let's stay in communication. You'll send me that. It goes back to the Torah, and uh, a member of Chabad gave me a book called Copyright and Jewish Law, which was an inch and a half thick. And went through the the religious scribes and what they found 
and it was fascinating, but the Torah is filled with when you can copy and when you can't, and when you are taking, doing a taking of somebody else's work. So the age of it doesn't just trace back to the first law. And once no, but- again, some of the laws are out of whack. I think we'll agree on that. Uh, but the principle that you, you agree own- that laws are out of whack, that there is a law, they even got a law in the crown of the law. Is that what you're saying, Alan? Ernie, I know your distaste no. for law and government. That's famous. See, this so is my point. I want to make sure. I, I want to let you guys go, but I, I, I want to make sure that my opinion gets in there. Is that if I have an idea or I'm writing something, or I'm doing, I, I'm not looking for a blue pages or an index or a list to go check to see if somebody else thought of it first. When my ideas are built on fifteen gazillion, and somebody after me is going to copyright something they got from me, or hell, they do I, it. I, they do bumper stickers and so on. I am I, not as a practical matter, I don't even see how this can be enforceable in the digital age now. I mean, it, it's not. Okay. So this it, go ahead and continue. I know your opinion, Alan, but I want to, uh, this is fascinating, the history that you guys are going through. I just have the fact that there's a history and a bunch of kings and potentates and, and democracies and governments and all this with shiny badges and guns said so doesn't mean squat to me. I don't care. I want to get down to the principle of should it or even can it. So when we come back, you guys go to the live stream. It's on freedomsphoenix.com. Top right, you can get the audio live stream uh, you know, during the live show. And if you go to the on the left with the video streaming, you get the break conversation, which is be in the archive, but you get to talk, you know, listen to it live right now. From the first letter of Captain Mark. History is full of flowery documents claiming to limit the power of the crown, but these poetic social contracts have been impotent to prevent the predation. Limited government is a lie they use to keep us submissive. The crown cannot be trusted to abide by its founding charters, nor its treaties, nor even its own rules. The essence of the crown is centralized violence, and I've had enough. That's why I raised my black banner. I am no revolutionary. My aim is not to reset the cycle of violence, but to break it. My aim is an evolved society, invisible to the crown. Not a new hierarchy, but decentralized networks with no central figure for the crown to target. If you want your servile life, keep it. But we will not submit to the crown's agenda. And when you are ready to stop being its beast of burden, ready for adventure and opportunity, join us at PiratesWithoutBorders.com. Just visit... Oh, I'm sorry. What? Oh, yeah. I was just trying to talk to Alan. Uh, I was just wondering if he could see the the uh, the chat, the text window in the in the Skype here. Uh, all I see is the uh, audio track. Oh. <coughs> Let's see. Oh well, here I can. Well, if I do this, it's and, it's imperfect. You know, if yeah, if you're in Skype, you can click on that little. Yeah, if you wind. click on that little chat thing at the top right, it has like a word bubble. You do that, yep. you'll be able to see the. Um, find that link i can send you guys a couple of links uh please do but i'm not gonna distract and see it are you getting a strong moray pattern off my shirt not bad you're okay okay it's more, it's more echoey on your audio than anything you don't have like a microphone like a head earbuds or something you can um, put i do but not a place to plug it in on this machine uh, and in the past this has worked fine i'll get a little closer yeah. it's uh it's it's, a, it's it's audible yeah it sounds like send you're in your a bathroom email, would you stefan Sure. Yeah, I'll do you that. And then when we're done, I'll send you mine, but I got to be out of here really quick. Um, we have 
open so many topics there's no way we'll be able to cover this all well no I, we're going to focus on the copyright and the you know the right should could it doesn't matter to me you know because it's going to get to the point where it, it's irrelevant it's moot you know but it's it should you know where is this you know like you're saying it needs to be protected all right here we're coming back here we go at lrn.fm freedom's the answer what's the question you're listening to Ernest Hancock. And we're right back with Stephen Kinsella and Alan Corwin talking about, you know, the history and all this is fascinating, but it all comes down to one thing for me. My thing is, is that, yeah, that's all very interesting what, the, you know, kings and governments all said about what they can do and who it gets the monopoly of and the grant of the charter of you're allowed to print this and you're not and you can't think and share and kind of, I'm like, eh, none of your freaking business. I don't care. My thing is, you don't want me to know it. You don't want me to build on the idea. You don't want me to write about it. Then don't freaking tell me. Because I'm not going to sit there and take a butter knife to my brain and try and carve something out of what I can or can't use and how. And I, I'm not doing it. Not, not, not. And technology is getting to the point that it's moot anyway. But, you know, to have the conversation to talk about how it evolved and it keeps changing. You know, Disney's Mickey Mouse is going to be copyrighted, you know, for, you know, ever, which means other stuff is going to be done, too, because they got the pressure to go to Congress and get them to pass something of I get Mickey Mouse. So I'm going. So all right, go ahead, go, Alan. So, you know, give your thing, Ernie. Let me let me address this. I, y your distaste for government and rules is famous, and I understand that. So let me address this. I'll be. I might be a little sarcastic, but you know me. Let me address this in terms you can understand, and maybe Stefan can help us clear it all up. Um, you're concerned about who invented it first, and that the words are always there. And I used two examples before. I'll use them again. Johnny B. Good, right, by Chuck Berry. He invented it first. Nobody invented it before him, and nobody's going to invent it after him. It's unique. And Michelle by the Beatles. They invented it. Nobody before them. Nobody after them. It's unique. It's theirs. We all love it. We enjoy it. I thought it was Michael if, Jackson's now, but anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Because it can be sold. It is a piece of property. Do we agree that those two songs are pieces of property and no. they have value. No, no, Let me no, finish. No. Let me no, finish. No. Do we agree that they're pieces of property and that you can own them, sell them? People are willing to spend money to get them and they have to spend the money somewhere to buy them. If they're Do in they an album, if you're talking about the actual book itself, if you're talking about the CD, if you're talking about the means of transfer of I got my goodies and I hold it, yes. Let me clarify but the actual, that. Yeah, see, Let you got to clarify. Let me clarify it. When uh, Now, I played a song, but we'll use Chuck Berry. When he invented, out of thin air, something that didn't exist, not atoms in the universe, but a piece of mentality, a mm -hmm. song, he created it. It would be fraud to say, how can I put this so you'll get it? That somebody else made say, it? Johnny, <laughs> actually, yeah. Johnny Be Good by Ernie Hancock. That would be fraud. Do we agree? No, it no I, I disagree with that, actually. It, it'd be it wouldn't be fraud. All right, see, well, let's step in. Let's step in. Go ahead and uh, you respond. Let, let, Go ahead. Yeah, let me just have a couple of things where I would clarify. Uh, first of all, uh, Johnny B. Good was invented by Marty McFly. If you remember Back to the Future, there was a time loop. So You're being silly. Let's be serious. <laughs> just joking. Just joking. Um, see, it, no, no, let him respond. Alan, let Stefan respond. Go ahead, Stefan. It's just a joke. It's just right. a joke. Uh, look. <laughs> Ernie and I, I think Ernie and I, are not against rules or law. We're just against the state. 
Whether we're against government or not depends upon how you define government. If you mean that the governing institutions of law and order, I'm not against that. I'm just an anarchist, so I'm against the state. So if you're precise with your terms, but we're not against law. I address against- that to Ernie, not you, Stefan. Well, I think we, we feel Yeah, no, Stefan and I are, when he says something that I don't agree with, I'll say. Go ahead, Stefan. Try and address what I said, and we'll get somewhere. He's, he's going. I, if you I, let I, him, he'll do it. Stefan, go. <laughs> what I'm saying is we disagree with particular rules, okay, particular laws that are unjust. It is true you can sell a copyright, and some people want to buy it given that they exist. But it's also true that in the days of slavery, human beings were chattel property, and they could be sold. And so just because the legal system pushed on us by the state can have rules that allow things to be treated like property doesn't mean that that's just. So the question is justice. Okay. Now, you also said earlier that it's uh, the Constitution and our law recognizes copyright as property. I actually don't think that's correct. I think that copyright and patent were recognized as monopoly grants, privileges granted by the state, and they were called property as a sort of uh, – a uh, a propaganda term to defend against criticisms by free market economists in the 1800s. Okay, a, a, a property right doesn't expire after an arbitrary period of years. Alan, you know, if you own your grandfather's watch or his car or you own a home, you can own it potentially forever. Pass it on to your children. Patents expire in 17 or so years. Copyrights expire after 100 or so years. How can that be a property right if it, if it just expires? So it's okay. obviously just a, a social... No, I, I'm not going to participate in this. This is what libertarians do that make them ineffective in politics. I asked you a specific question about one thing, and like libertarians I deal with, you're now talking about patents, watches, law, the Constitution... Right. I guarantee Stefan will answer your question. Answer, ask the question, Alan. I'm happy to answer any particular question. Yeah, ask, ask the particular... Don't make a speech. Make a particular question so he can answer it. Go. Is Johnny B. Good a piece of property? I would say under today's legal system, it is classified as, a, as property, yes. It is, but that doesn't mean it's just. Fair enough. Who owns that original piece of property when it was created? Well, it depends upon whether it was work for hire, but so some some a corporation or human being owns it. Either the author or if it's a work for hire, it would be the employer, which usually is a corporation, or it could be someone that he contractually assigned the right to later, which would probably be a corporation yet again. So I don't I don't know according to uh I don't know who owns it, but someone owns we it. Know the con- we know the conditions of its creation. I, I don't. I do. He wrote it in the privacy of a room. It was not a work for hire. He was not under contract. I know what work for hire is. For it's hire a change of subject. It means you have to be an imp- I'm not changing the subject. You asked me a question. I'm- who owned, when, when Chuck Berry wrote Johnny B. Good in the privacy of a room, as a song, who owned it? If he was employed by a company to write songs, then the employer would own it. The See, fact they would be he was company. not. All right, I'm, I'm pushing the button so I can have a, a, a statement here. When you say who owns it, based on what? The current law. Well, who owns this slave? Well, the man says you do. 
Just because you have this ownership and I got a paper from the Crown and I got guns that's going to enforce this contract or this seal of bill of sale of I got this slave, you know, that doesn't mean squat to a libertarian. You are correct, Alan. Not a damn thing. It is a moral thing. Can I have a an idea and express it without looking for who had the idea? I don't care. Now, is there, you're going, is there a legal framework? Does it go back to the Bible? Yep, I can show you. And Stefan Kinsella is a freaking expert on this. He can show you knit and tittle of every little thing that doesn't. And it keeps changing. My property right in stuff doesn't change. Either it's mine or it's not. Intellectual property is built on... No, I don't recognize your law, Alan. I don't. I don't, that doesn't mean anything to me. you got to come up with a better idea for you to say, well, who owns it? Well, you know, Stefan's going, well, I guess under that current system, the king says, which don't mean crap to me. I'm not referring to law. I'm referring in principle. Oh, oh, so, okay. Oh, then then was, that's a whole other thing. I was confused. <laughs> if you're asking under a libertarian, in, in a private law society, in a libertarian legal order, are you asking me who would own the song? I, I'm trying to get down to root principles of nature that if I create something in the privacy of my yes. mind, like yes. a song, and yes. I'm using Chuck Berry, who's a simple guy, yes. writing a simple song we all know, he creates no, I know. Yeah, I got it in it. his mind. And, and then I want to get to the next issue, which is, are is it a bundle of rights? So there are many yeah. things in, I got a, it. in a right I got it. to copy. Okay, let him answer. I got it. Yeah, so, let me, let, so when you asked me earlier whether it's a piece of property, I thought you were asking a positive law question about how it's treated under today's legal system. I already said I'm not looking at the I, statutes and the I understand. system messed up. I understand. But when you asked that question, I thought you were changing. So I, I, I misunderstood you. Uh, if you're asking me as a libertarian under natural law, natural property rights systems, no, the answer is clearly no. Uh, a song is not a piece of property because it's not a scarce resource. It's a pattern of information. A song cannot be owned by anyone. It doesn't have an owner. It's not property. Okay. So that would be my answer to that. Now, you brought up, brought up scarcity. So let me address scarcity. Okay, we're going to... See? That's why we needed... Two hours with Alan and Stefan, but uh, we get an hour. It's going to, uh, uh, you know, bisected by the break here. But when we come back, you know, we're going to get right to it. You guys will take a break. I'll go to the bathroom, chill, take a hit, whatever it takes. Smoke and toke. And then we'll come back and hit it, you know, because this is good, good. I knew this would be great, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. But six, we'll come back at 6 after, guys. And we do the news break, and then we're going to hit it hard when we come back. Alan Corwin, GunLaws.com, Stephen Kinsella, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A.com. Stephen Kinsella. We'll be right back. Freedom. Okay, we'll be back at 6 after. I'll come in just a little bit before that. You know, I'll take a break. Be right back. More Declare Your Independence is coming up next, live, after the news, here on the Liberty Radio Network, LRN.FM. 
From Keene in the Shire, the Liberty Media capital of the world, this is Daryl W. Perry, host of FPP Radio News for Friday, November 3rd, 2017. Silver is trading at $17.13 per ounce. Gold is valued at $1,277 per ounce. Bitcoin is trading at 2.2 cents, and the average price of Bitcoin is $7,050. Antiwar.com reports fighting was reported in Turkey's southeast Hakkari province on Thursday along the Iraqi border, with at least eight Turkish soldiers killed and 17 Kurdish fighters, whom the Turkish government identified as members of the PKK. Fighting began early in the day when PKK members were crossing through the mountains near the border and got into a clash. Five Kurdish fighters were killed along with the Turkish forces. Helicopters were deployed to the border to look for more. In the course of that search, Turkey spotted another 12 Kurds trying to flee into Iraq. Warplanes quickly attacked and killed all of them and identified all of the slain as PKK, though it does not appear there was any fighting in that case. The PKK has been fighting a war with Turkey for over 30 years, seeking independence from the Turkish central government for the Kurds in the southeast. During a recent ceasefire, PKK forces were withdrawn to northern Iraq and operations are still common along the border region. Armistice Day originally commemorated the end of war and honored those who gave their lives. Antiwar.com remembers and honors all veterans and holds true to the hope of ending war as policy and strives at least to report on and be critical of the military-industrial complex. Join Antiwar.com for a social media giveaway by posting to Instagram or Twitter with the hashtag WhyImAntiWar and a short message about peace for a chance to win a Peace Now t-shirt, red popular lapel pin, or cryptocurrency sticker pack. UPI reports Kide is recalling more than 40 million fire extinguishers made in the United States and Canada in the last 45 years because they might not work properly during an emergency. The Consumer Product Safety Commission said in a recall advisory, the fire extinguishers can become clogged or require excessive force to discharge and can fail to activate during a fire emergency. In addition, the nozzle can detach with enough force to pose an impact hazard. The company said nearly 400 extinguisher incidents have been documented so far, resulting in one death. 16 injuries and 91 reports of property damage. In 2014, the family of Brendan Roscoe filed a lawsuit against the company over a car crash that saw a device malfunction by emergency personnel. Kide settled with the family. Former California Chief Fire Marshal James McCullen told CBS News, you're better off to have no fire extinguisher than a defective fire extinguisher. If you attack a fire thinking you're going to put it out with a defective fire extinguisher and it doesn't work, you put yourself in harm's way. The recall also covers 134 plastic candle and push-button Pendicator models manufactured between 1995 and 2017. All but about 3 million of the 40.5 million recalled fire extinguishers were made in the United States. The company said they will replace the devices with new extinguishers made with metal parts. The company also urged consumers to consult their extinguishers' model numbers, serial number, and date code and cross-check the device with the recall list and to fill out a form. For over 40 years, Roberts & Roberts Brokerage has been a trusted source for buying and selling precious metals. Gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, they don't feed the banks, they're Bitcoin preferred, and have removed the minimum purchase amount for all orders paid in the digital currency. Call Roberts & Roberts Brokerage today for knowledgeable advice on buying and selling precious metals and a forward-thinking approach to new technologies. 800-874-9760 or visit online at rrbi.co. 
Reuters reports, since last year, Californians are allowed to grow and possess cannabis. Now, the most populous U.S. state has taken another step to bolster the cannabis business by deciding to give insurance coverage to the multi-billion dollar industry. The state's insurance commissioner, Dave Jones, approved on Thursday the filing of the first commercial insurance company to cover cannabis businesses. The insurer, Golden Bear Insurance Company, can now begin writing policies and offer coverage for cannabis business owners, according to spokesman Eric Olson. For a while, big insurers have been avoiding the cannabis industry worried about action from federal authorities. California voters approved medical cannabis in 1996 despite a federal ban, and last year, voters approved recreational use of cannabis by adults. Since then, the state has been developing rules to allow recreational sales. Jones launched an initiative earlier this year to encourage commercial insurance companies to fill insurance coverage gaps for the cannabis industry. Jones said, our mission remains insurance protection for all Californians, which includes insurance for California's legalized cannabis businesses and customers. This has been FPP Radio News, online at fppradio.com. Okay, we're getting ready to go. Go ahead and tilt your camera down a little, Stefan. I'm missing you here. There you go. And now, live from the studios of Freedoms Phoenix, Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. We got Alan Corwin, you know, at gunlaws.com, and we have Stefan Kinsella, Stefan, P-H-A-N, Stefan Kinsella, K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A.com. And this is what we're talking about. We're trying to focus it on copyright. Is it protected property? Well, I did a show on, when was this? It was November, It was uh, October 20th, so just a couple weeks ago. We had Matt Smith on. Now, we know Matt Smith. You know, uh, he, Porter Stansberry, he's an entrepreneur, gazillionaire, does great and wonderful and everything. And what did he do? He created a, a thing. It's called uh, Royalty Exchange. Now, these are songs that have a revenue stream. You know, a lot of these, like, they got Eminem and all his stuff out there and so on. And they're trading the revenue that's created from these songs, and they go, you know what? Um, um, these have value, and they put up, and they, they they they're offered as you know pieces of this, a royalty exchange, and that I want to buy and sell, and this, and kind of, and it makes me money. Well, you know, you can sell it for future revenue that's going to happen. It's all based, and he's a hardcore anarchist libertarian type, but he knows where to make him some money. Now he's not necessarily supportive of the concept, but that won't stop him from making money on it. And I'm going, yeah, okay, well, a good libertarian can make money off the copyright, you know, peace out. And you go listen to that show, and we had a really good conversation. But, you know, is it real property? Well, just like, uh, you know, Stefan and Alan will agree that, you know, there's the, the crown out there going, yeah, I say it is. 
All right? So, you know, my 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 whole thing, I don't feel that any intellectual property and certainly copyright is a permission slip in my brain that I need to go and get sanctioned from the government on something that it's an idea. You don't want me to have this idea and you don't want me to propagate it. Don't tell me. I got a perfect example. Um, uh, my son's in-laws, they have this great salsa recipe. I mean, I'm like, oh, hell no. I need to have this. And they go, well, I guess it's a family secret, but I guess we can give it. I go, no, don't tell me. Because as soon as you tell me, it goes in a cookbook of everybody and I'm, then it's mine. You don't want me to know. Don't tell me. So they didn't. But they gave me a bunch of salsa. Well, that's your protection right there. Don't tell me. Keep it secret. But if you think you're going to publish it and somebody else isn't going to do it, that's just dumb. I mean, it, it's going to it's going to happen anyway. So now we're in to the real conversation. What I think it's uh, very interesting is: Do you have a property right in an idea? Well, I I don't think so. But you know that's uh, what we're discussing. Okay, I'll, I'll let you go, Alan, first because I know you're on the edge of your seat, man. Go, Ernie. Once again, I'm not going to talk to you about recipes or change the subject. If we're going to get anywhere, we've got to focus. And we're going to stay with songs because they're discreet and they're easy. It's dead Fine. center on copyright. And I'm going to go back to where we were. Okay, I want to tell Stephen the story of Alan. This is what Alan did. At this meeting, he sang a song. Said, he sang a song, I'm Just a Cat. It was an awesome song. And I can see that's catchy, man. That's going to hit the internet. and gun. You, you shouldn't have sang it, man. If I had a recording, I would have posted it up on YouTube right away. If I'd known okay. you do that again, boom, I'm putting it up and it's gone. Now what? Okay, thank you, Ernie. I appreciate that. That. <laughs> Gets back to theft, but that's another subject. Ah. So try and stay focused and get somewhere. But once I'm going to put this out there. One of the reasons libertarians, I sometimes call losertarians, and they don't get anywhere politically, which More than I'd like sometimes. to see. <laughs> Let me speak. I, look, I think libertarians hold a key to the safety of this nation, which I would like to see happen. Because the nation is going down the tubes, and the principles that libertarians hold could save America and freedom, which I hold very dear. But if they keep changing the subject, can't stay focused, have principles which lead to absurd conclusions, they have to refocus and get their brains screwed on. So you talk about salsa, I'm going to stay with copyright and a song. I use Chuck Berry as an example because we all know it. So Stefan brought up scarcity. I want to address scarcity because all the literature I read you don't understand scarcity, at least you, Ernie. I won't address Steph and let him answer. When a hit song comes out, it is the most scarce thing on the face of the planet. I was at Arista Records when they found out that Eric Carmen's song, All By Myself, was going to number one. The entire building was ecstatic. There is nothing more scarce than a hit song or a New York Times bestselling book. Gold and silver and diamonds come out of the earth constantly, but a hit song, copyright, a hit book is scarce beyond anything immeasurable and of value beyond calculation. That is scarcity of the third type of property. Now, we haven't completely agreed that all three types of property exist, at least Stefan and I. I believe there's three types. Copyright is the third, and it is actually the biggest, most important super type of property with all sorts of almost magical properties to it, and it is scarce beyond gold and diamonds 
Stefan, tell me why copyrights aren't scarce. Chuck Berry's song, measurably valuable, generated millions of dollars. Well, so see how you're conflating valuable with scarcity and just scarcity, just scarcity. There's nothing else like it before or since it is unique. Well, uniqueness is not what scarcity is about. And I think that in, in political, we're having some kind of weird audio feedback. It'll clear up. Go ahead. Okay. So in political legal terms, scarcity refers to something that in economics is called rivalrousness. Maybe we should use that word instead because it keeps leading to confusion and to people talking past each other. We don't mean something that's unique or uh, even lack of abundance. Scarcity is a rivalrousness is a particular quality of a resource on the earth where two or more people can have a conflict over the use of that thing. Okay, So this gets back to Austrian economics and the way we classify human action. Can you Humans define act, rivalrousness? I don't, I don't have a definition. Rivalry means it's, it's the quality of a good. Okay, which means that one person's use excludes anyone else's use of it. So it's something where there could be conflict over it. So, for example, if you and I wanted to use a a, a kitchen or a pot to make a no, meal, no, no, use Johnny B. Good. Don't go to a physical good. No, let, let him good let him express himself, Alan. Let I'm him trying to pot. Stay with a song. Well, I, what I'm going to explain is that the song is information. Okay. And so information is one aspect of human action. Material, scarce goods, or rivalrous resources, means of action, or another part of human action. We need to employ these things to act to get things done, but we need information to guide our choices and our decisions. The information is not scarce. It's not a rivalrous thing. But the reason I say it's not rivalrous is because you and I could both sing the song – Johnny be good at the same time in our own houses without conflict with each other, but we can't use the same guitar. Do you understand that distinction? I certainly do, but two companies can't get the same song at the same time from Chuck Berry. Sure they could. Why couldn't they? If he chose to walk, well, because there are rights to the property. Well, that's circular then. You're, you're making a circular argument then. I don't believe I am. Well, you're, you're trying to argue the way it should be, right? Not what the rights – I mean so you can't say the rights, the rights. I mean, that's a positive law thing. So if we're going to talk about what the rights should be, we need to distinguish between what the way the law is and the way the law should be. Okay, we're going to go Does straight into the break with this. Song? We're going to go straight into the break. Go to the archive, or certainly you go to the live feed on freemansphoenix.com, and we're going to talk about it during the break and continue this train of thought because we're going to lose Alan at the bottom of the hour. So I want to make sure we take advantage of all the seconds that we got available on this okay. issue. I need to step out for two minutes, guy. Three From minutes. The second right, letter. Yeah, go ahead. Then Cut more. the audio feed. Any pirate knows that commerce is communication. Markets condensed oceans of information into a single price. Innovations in communication are circumventing the scrutiny of the crown. This signals a change in the coin of the realm. The crown uses digital currency to surveil, censor, seize, and destroy wealth at will. So pirate currency must protect us from this weaponized money. We need to move funds further, faster, cheaper, and without third-party observation, basing decisions on an accelerating flow of information. So pirates require nearly instantaneous transactions with no arbitrary limits on volume or artificial influences on fees. 
Most importantly, a pirate currency must preclude centralization. Otherwise, it will become another link in our chain to the crown. A superior currency will result in the obsolescence of the coin of the realm and the extinction of the crown itself. Trade above the grid. Join us at PiratesWithoutBorders.com. While our satellite channel is free to listen to, it's not free for us. You can help us cover our satellite costs with the chip-in on the right side of the page at LRN.FM. To be a part of the show, call 602-264-2800. 602-264-2800. And now, Ernest Hancock. You did Johnny B. Gill without permission to slip, and he didn't get a cut, and you're not allowed to, uh, uh, never mind. Orleans, we're back up in the woods among the evergreens. There stood a long cabin made of earth and wood. Where lived a country boy named Johnny B. Good, who never ever learned to read or write so well, but he could play a guitar just like a ring in a bell. Go, go. Go, Johnny, go. Go. Okay, go. Go, Johnny, go. Step and go. This is, you know, and this is the one thing I'm so looking forward to decentralized internet that I can do whatever the heck I want and have in the video and it goes up and everybody can suck it. Because that is what's going to happen. And all of these, and you see it happen now, for whatever reason or excuse, here comes the man and they, ah, and we shut you down. And you're not allowed. And you got to go, you know what? It's going to get to the point very soon and it's not going to matter. It's moot. You can sit there and whine and complain, bitch, all you want. Uh, it's called uh, um, um, Napster. I mean, you know, I, I this is and this is what has got Alan worked up, man. He's like, damn. I mean, it's just everybody can steal everything from you and steal. Well, we're going steal. It's not steal. You get to have it. You get to use it. So I'm just, uh, you know, that's what the discussion is. And we're getting down to the history of where copyright comes from. And it's always from the collective of they and those that, you know, the crown grants and you're allowed and you're not and kind of that's bad to begin with, from my opinion. So, all right, I'll let you go first, Stefan. Uh, go and uh, respond. Well, by the way, Alan, you know, if copyright was enforced strictly enough, uh, we wouldn't be able to play that song just now. I know. That's, that's just my point. Hellfire missiles on its way. That's not true. <laughs> Why not? Well, copyright is actually enforced privately. Uh, when you go into a club and they're playing music, ASCAP and BMI monitor that collect royalties from the club so they can play music. It's done in a statistical way. And I get a check every time they play one of my songs. I get a small check. The Beatles and Chuck Berry get a big check because their music is played more and more places. And it's a private company. When mechanicals are made, physical copies, the Harry Fox Agency, a private company, monitors that, collects royalties, and distributes to them statistically. Sounds like a lot of paperwork. But you missed my well, point. It is. There's a lot of you money. There's point. a lot of places that collect a lot of it, and they distribute it. It's sorry, it's paperwork, Ernie. But if it's your music, you want to get paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you think Ernie should actually be penalized right now for what he just did? Hell yeah! He wasn't penalized. He pays for use of property. Oh, so so when I get a tax bill, it's not a penalty. It's just it's just what you have to pay for. The, You're changing the, the subject again to taxes. I'm talking about pay for <laughs> use of a person's property. It's okay. like rent. I okay. own it. You use it, I charge you through my agent, and I get paid. It's fair. It's libertarian. Look, fair. I have a few minutes left. <laughs> so let me bring up a couple of points. Wait, I thought You'll it was my discuss them when I'm not here. Is that okay? I think well, we agreed. I think we agreed that if I write a song 
and you say you wrote it, that's fraud. So no, no, actually, I disagreed with that. Okay, well, I'll make my position, and I won't be here in a couple of minutes because I have a meeting downtown. It, I believe if I write a song and you say you wrote it, you're you're cheating. It's fraud. It's a form of theft. If it's dishonesty. It's not fraud. Well, okay, it's dishonesty. Right, well, well, let him de define that real quick so you can continue the conversation. Stefan, it's not fraud if I take uh, one of his books, publish it, and put my name on it and say I did it. Okay, why is that not fraud? It could be fraud. It's not necessarily fraud, but it's rarely fraud. I, go ahead. I don't interrupt Ellen's uh, scarce time that he has left. Go. Okay, so, so like Ernie said, I wrote a book. Ernie copies it, puts it out on the market, and says, by Ernie Hancock, it's a lie. It's fraud and it's theft, in my opinion. If he makes money on it, let's say there's a million dollar market for this book and he makes a half a million dollars. I've been harmed a half a million dollars worth and I can only make a half a million dollars because he has sucked that money out of the market. I've been harmed. That's bad. And these rights. It's not bad. Opinion, I disagree. It's not bad. <laughs> I, I understand you don't agree, and you'll be able to respond without me here to defend myself. And you and I will talk online or offline afterwards. Where are you based? I'm well. First of all, I'm in Houston, but I'm happy to have you stay on longer if you want. You can stay on the whole time I'm on. So it's not. I'm the chairman I'm of a meeting. I've got a lot of people coming. I've got to right. be there. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not shutting the microphone off. You're welcome to stay as long as you want, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you, but you understand I have other obligations, and I'm not that. Okay, libertarian. go ahead and go ahead and finish. Uh... <laughs> so, that's fraud, and I've covered theft. If the market has a certain size, you suck money out because people want to hear my song and they hear you play it. You're entitled to the performance royalty. If Glenn Campbell plays my song. He should get the performance royalty, and I should get the royalty as the creator of the song that everybody that's wants to come and hear. Legal system, Alan. You, you, I thought you said you were talking about principles. Now you're going back to the current legal system. I'm not, I don't believe I am. There's natural rights. The copyright is a bundle of rights, and they're natural and inherent in the creation, in the mentality that I invented this song. Like Chuck Berry invented his, I invented mine. It's more real property than dirt or physical goods. Those require atoms that already exist. The Chuck Berry song involves something that never existed before or after. It's only because Chuck Berry lived that this efflorescence, it's a creation. It's I, I totally almost supernatural. I totally agree with you on that, by the way. I totally Good. agree. Good. So but, this but creation is not a source of ownership. Creation is a source of wealth, not of ownership. That's the distinction that you don't understand. Fair enough. Like, like Bitcoin. Bitcoin isn't actually real. It's, an, it's a concept that we accept and agree to, and it's digits on a wire, and it has value. So songs <clears throat> are have enormous value. The music industry is worth billions. It's based on songs, and the laws that govern it need some improvement. I have no problem with law as a principle, and that goes on. Uh, let me touch on monopoly briefly. I have only a few minutes left. <clears throat> I own my house in a monopoly sort of way. It's mine. You can't just walk in. I can actually defend it with lethal force, and I own my songs and my books in a monopoly sort of way. They are mine. They are not yours. Law recognizes that. And those can be defended with the government as an intermediary. Police can come and help me defend my house. What about your What about your kids and your wife? Do you own them? 
no, of course not. Not that way. But you can't just use a preposition like it's my song, therefore I own it. Yeah, see, this is one thing you complain well, that Stefan is off the beaten path. I don't want to talk about that, but you keep doing the same thing, Alan. You keep trying to equate copyright with some kind of physical property thing. Well, plus plus he used the word invent. You said you invent a song. Invention is a patent law concept. So I, now you, okay. I you use, see why I brought patent law in, because these things are related. I, I use the word in, imprecisely out of yes. speed in the short time we have. I yes. created the song. It's an invention of my mind. It's a creation of my mind. I'll be more precise with language. And as a writer of legal texts, I usually am very precise, but because of time, it's a creation of my mind. And as such, it has certain unique properties. And as Ernie has pointed out and libertarians have pointed out to me, if somebody takes it, I still have it. That's an almost magical property of this kind of property. There's the music. We're out of time. Stefan, I wish we had more time to go through this. It's fascinating. You're right on some parts. Libertarians like Ernie and perhaps yourself miss the boat on some issues. Copyright is real. It's property. It's a bundle of rights. It's It's worth a fortune. It's the most scarce property. Libertarians like to steal it, apparently, because it's easy to do. It's hard to be caught. They want it. They don't want to pay for it. They feel once they hear it, now it's theirs. That is completely false. It's dishonorable. The Torah says a person who does that is a sordid person. Now, that's just one philosophical perspective, but you could go perform it, say, this is my song. I can't even know you're doing it. But it's a sordid thing to do, and that's the nature of the game. So there. I wish I had more time and we could go. Yeah, we do too. I'm glad that we got to do this, Alan. You got to express yourself. I think you did as good a job as you could when uh, you did your presentation and now, but I'm just uh, – I'm you know I knew this would be interesting because it gets down to the basics of what – I think is, you know, should the government be able to tell me what I can and can't do with what's in my brain? And that's a bad slope to go sliding down. So Bernie, I, you can do what you want when it's in your brain. When you take it out of your brain and give it to other people for large amounts of money, some of that money is mine, and you could do it with my see, permission. See, that's another thing. When you go you like this, you say, money. yeah, you see, you're you going like, you're money. making all this money, and that should be mine. Hell, then you go make it. I mean, what made me no, different? No, no, than- no, no. no. We, we split the money. No, on the I, you know, I go perform and, and perform something or reconstitute the idea or do or change it, not change it, sing it better. You know, I can put up here, Johnny Be Good by, you know, freaking McFly. You know, and I'm just going, I, so I, I understand your point, and we'll go ahead, and you're right, and we're going to, you know, uh, uh, try not to beat you up too much when you're not here. But, Ernie, you know. go ahead and perform it. I want you to perform it. We'll go 50-50, maybe 60-40. Have a great time. All right, all right. Thanks, nice Alan. Nice you. I love you. Bye. You be good. Save the world. I think libertarians can save the world, but you got to do it right. No, of course. There's a central plan for freedom, uh, according to Alan. Thank you, my friend. All right. Bye, Alan. Uh, Ernie, I, Ernie, when are we coming back on? Because I gotta, I gotta step out for two minutes. Is that okay? Yeah, it's uh, thirty-one twenty, and we come back at thirty-three. Go. There are those that okay. just want to be left alone, and those that just won't leave them alone. Which one are you? The Ernest Hancock Show. McFly, gotta be good. Hey, 
Give it what for uh, Stefan, uh, you know, comments. And this is common. This is, you know, Alan has always been, you know, he's, he, you know, he, he likes to kind of get closer and closer and he sees libertarianism as take. I've known him for 20 plus years and it kind of his evolution is going to accept on this one thing because he's an author and a songwriter. And he wants it to be, and he uses all kind of mental gymnastics to justify because some king did it back in the day and they had the printing press. So, um, yeah, we loser, losertarians, you know, damn it, we're, we're doing that freedom thing and it applies to this particular point in law. And he's like, man, if you guys ever want to be successful, not losertarians, you need to get with the program. Well, express yourself. Go ahead. Well, yeah, let's get back on the losertarian thing. I mean, like, I agree with him. There's lots of losertarians out there. But he, I think, when I say it, it has a different meaning than what he says. I think he's talking about our lack of success. Now, I don't really blame libertarians for our lack of success. Uh, success in what? Are, I feel successful. I've got my head on straight. Well, and, <laughs> and that's another thing, like personal success or success in politics, political activism. Um, he, he thinks that we're off the track right by advocating this wacky idea i'll give you a personal anecdote my one of my best friends jeff tucker at mises when i published some of these early anti-ip things like right at the dawn of the internet right when people weren't thinking about it he read it and he thought i was crazy he said why the hell is he writing all this about patent and copyright and 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 but then he kept it nagged him and he kept reading it and he became like a total convert like Hundreds or thousands of other people have over the years. Like I've talked to them. Though you changed my mind, but because this piracy issue, the internet became more more of an issue. I personally actually believe that the IP issue, the copyright issue, and the patent issue are two of the biggest state problems that we have. They are up there with the drug war, war taxation, public education, and the Federal Reserve. And in a way, they're worse than almost all of those because they're more insidious. At least most people sense there's something wrong with war. They know that taxes are something we have to do, but it's bad to do it too much. right? They know that war kills people. Um, ideally, private education would be better, etc. But patent and copyright fly under the banner of private property rights, and so people say, well, that's, the type of, that's part of capitalism. right? So it's more insidious. And the idea spreads so much. I personally believe that the patent system imposes trillions of dollars of economic direct material cost on the human race every year because of the way it uh, suppresses innovation. And the copyright system is a danger in a worse sense because it lasts so much longer and it imperils freedom of speech, freedom of thought, and internet freedom. In the name of copyright, we are taking down websites. We have these six strikes and you're out rules. 
We have people being threatened not to put up hyperlinks on the internet, not copying other texts. This is stifling human freedom and human speech. So for this guy to say that we're just making a big deal about nothing is absolutely absurd, and I personally believe that copyright is the biggest threat to human freedom almost ever. However, luckily, we have piracy. We have encryption. We have torrenting. We have the ability for once to just make an end run around this horrible statist fascist system. So that's a good thing. The fact that people can copy information with impunity almost, right? Because if they're technically smart, is a good thing. So this guy, it's nice that he has a liberal spirit. It's nice that he wants to make money selling his novels or his books, but that doesn't mean he should favor a fascist, a literally fascist thought controlling system. And I'm I'm glad that he his books and my books and anyone else's books can be pirated easily and that the copyright system has withered into a shell of its former self. I'm glad. That's a positive movement in the direction of human freedom. I'm 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 with you, brother, but you know, uh he will continue to make the argument that the brain neurons firing of I created and wrote down on a piece of paper and making the point that it was automatically copyrighted doesn't mean anything to me. You know, I'm going, his, okay. His, so you know. so he, his main mistake, so he keeps saying he wants to talk about what the law should be, but every one of his arguments points to existing statutory law, right? Like this idea about the ASCAP system and dividing rights up this way and that way. So, and then when you say that, well, we're against the current system, he gets upset. I'm not advocating that, whatever. So he's confused. He thinks this is naturally a part of capitalism as part of his livelihood. I think he's actually wrong. You can make money. Without being part of a government monopolistic privileged licensing scheme, you don't have to do it that way. We could have other ways of doing things. You know, this is one thing that you had an impact. I got to tell you this story. I mean, you know, you probably don't even remember what happened when this first started going. I think it was like nine ten or something. We had John the first time in oh nine ten, and um, uh, somebody called in. Man, they were they were on it. It was Scott Beezer from Big Head Press. He does Quantum Vibe. He does some graphic novels. He's a illustrator. He, he did a lot of our covers yep. for Freedom's Phoenix. And he called in and he goes, "Nope." He was making these arguments. It's mine, mine, mine. Years later, a couple of years later, I see him at Porkfast and I go, "Yeah, so how's that copyright thing working out?" He's kind of changed his tune. He's going, "Yeah, I'm sorry." I know. Scott and I are friends. I think he's here in Houston, and I met him at Porkfest as well, and uh, I think he has toned down his uh, opposition to uh, to. Oh, but he went all Alan Corwin on you in the beginning. So what do you yes. think his realization was? I think a lot of it has to do when you kind of open it up and people share, and it gets his revenue goes up, his notoriety goes up. You know, this is one thing when we did Aaron Russo's America, Freedom, the Fascism, he was all pissed off. I made 150,000 copies of that during the Levolution, and we compilated with a bunch of other stuff in there. And he goes, and I go, look, I'm on the show. You can go listen. I go, Aaron, sue me. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, what are you going to well, do? Later, I, he got, sorry, just a second. Later, he made a bunch of money because it got notoriety. Well, then he goes on air and he says, all right, Ernie, just don't, please don't do the director's cut. So he was, because of <laughs> us not doing, you know, uh, listening to him, he became more wealthy or at least made more money with it. So I'm going, look, th th this concept, these guys are starting to come this way. What do you think is the biggest change or realization that they have that they start taking on your position? 
well, for li- for libertarians, I think they are searching their souls, and they finally start seeing that they can't. You know, they say, "I don't support this or this or this or this" from the copyright guys, right? And I think they also realize that it's futile, right? Because there is piracy out there, so they realize they have to come up with a different business model. I think you know maybe one thing we could do is, hey, let's promote Alan's works. I'm going to go buy some of his works now because he seems like an interesting guy, and I've heard about him now because of this. Maybe on your show, we should say. Go investigate his website. Look at Alan Corbin's works, and he'll sell more. I, I have no merchandising. Where the real money yeah. made? <laughs> yeah, merchandise. So, I, I just think he 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 is blinding himself to the danger and the horror of copyright because he thinks it's in his self interest. I yeah. personally, copyright is actually not in the self-interest of most people or most companies. Uh, it's in the interest of a very narrow, large corporation subset of America, uh, the uh, pharmaceutical and uh, by I mean patent and, and copyright, pharmaceutical industry, um, you know, uh, Hollywood and the music industry. And these three or four industries have lobbied the U.S. government to twist the arms of other countries around the world, all for the favor of just a few minutes. When we come back, yeah, you know, this is the TPP thing. You know, it's just like, you know, this uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership of whatever. Yeah, we'll sign here as long as China starts respecting our version of copyright and 70 years plus of 100 years plus of a 200 years plus of Mickey Mouse. And they go, "Um, we're China. We don't give a crap. We got half the uh, world's population. They're all Mickey Moused up. And you don't get any. (laughs) Na-na-na-na-na. Crimes of the Crown by Captain Mark. The Crown casts the world in shadow and claims to be our guiding light. Cowards clamor for security from boogeymen and ghost stories. Well, I say these hobgoblins are imaginary. I say those they propped up as our liberators are now subsisting on our bondage. I say there is freedom in the black, and that's exactly where we intend to go. The Crown banishes its own officers for exposing its crimes and tortures dissidents to the brink of madness. It dominates the globe and swallows the wealth of generations, leaving only blood and excrement. The Crown calls it piracy to explore frontiers beyond its grasp. So the time has come for us to define the conduct among pirates. I say the Crown has trampled our necks long enough. Need decentralized solutions to centralized problems? Looking for a community of like-minded scoundrels? Or just want some swag to let the Crown know what you think of it? Join the conversation at pirateswithoutborders.com. We won't be hard to find. You know, that's one outlet for you, um, Stefan. You know, this is PiratesWithoutBorders.com. This weekend, we're working on communication. And I want to include uh, a reference to copyright. You know, because pir- obviously, pirate this and pirate that. And we're all pirates, and we get pirated up. So my thing is, is I'm going, all right. Um, we had uh, uh, Paul Rosenberg was uh, instrumental in a lot of the phrasing and some of the paragraphs and so on in our first letter of Captain Mark. So what I'm hoping that you'll do is that you'll go ahead and go, you know what? I can have a couple of paragraphs, something to say about the third letter of Captain Mark is about communication and copyright. Because if you go to the PiratesWithoutBorders.com and you read the first and second letter, you'll go, oh, I see where they're going. And I'm hoping that you'll participate and give us, because we're going to be formulating this over the next week. If you can give us some kind on communication and the ability to not the crown say what I can and can't say or how, you know, that will get included in that letter. Are you willing to help us? Sure. Like, you know, Absolutely. let's do it. You know, we're putting it together this weekend and early next week. So some great 
pirate R, the crown this and the crown that, and pirates know that, you know, and suck it. So if you can do that, I'll include it, you know, we'll word it in such a way and get your approval on it, and boom, we're done. Well, you know who else is really good on this is, uh, I'm on the phone, Felicia. Who else is really good on Okay. Yeah, I'm on the phone. Uh, uh, Rick, have you ever heard of Rick Falkvinge? Uh, no. You mean Falkvin? You mean Falkvin? Falkvin here, the the, the the pirate guy in uh, Europe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've had yeah. him on. Yeah. No, we we're all over it. When we start, this is what happened. I'll tell you real quick. We had uh, about a year ago. It was uh, October, I think. The headline was Ah, the pirate party don't mean nothing. They only got sixteen percent of Parliament in Iceland. And I go, what? You know, I'm going sixteen percent. You know, let's here it comes. The Levolution at the same time. You had the pirate party, then the Levolution starts, and it kind of overlapped across the Atlantic, and we had kind of the same thing. Well, Rick, he wants to use politics and uh, pirating this issue and then kind of have some political yes. influence. But parliamentary positions in Europe is different than this 50-plus-1% kind of crap here in America. So it, yes. I'm not sure how it's going to work. So when we started the pirate thing, it was on that inspiration. You know, Arizona Pirate Party instead of a political thing. And then we were waiting as a placeholder to come up with a name. So the name Pirates Without Board, boom, that's it, man, rock and roll. So you'll see on the right side all these different categories Categories, you know, like communication and energy and transportation. We're looking for the decentralization of everything. Communication is first. That's what you hear. We're talking about cryptocurrencies need to, I need pirate money, you know, so I don't need a permission slip. Well, when we do communication, it includes, you know, intellectual property stuff. And this is where the pirate party thing comes in. And whatever contribution you have, that would be cool. All right, here we're coming back. And now, live from the studios of Freedoms Phoenix. Ernest and we're right back. Stefan Kinsella, man, we're just yakking it. This is what I want to make sure that we, uh, under the Pirates Without Borders, Captain Mark, the letter, third letter of Cap- Captain Mark's going to be on communication. We're working on it now. If Stefan Kinsella, we've had a lot of people participate and help with our writing up, and then we kind of pirate it up and then make sure that's what they wanted to, wanted to say. So any influence that Stefan can have in this to where we can make it clear of the base principle of what we are advocating as good pirates. You know, you, you think you can come up with something for us, Stefan? Aye. Aye. Aye you know, Arizona <laughs> Pirates. Okay. So go ahead, and uh, what do you think you would want to emphasize to pirate-oriented that way? And you mentioned Rick Falkvenier uh, from um, uh, the Pirate Party in Europe. That's, you know, kind of you know raising his head here in America. And uh, what reference to him you were going to make? Oh, yeah, I think uh, he's at falkvinge.net, actually, and he is uh, very solid. I think he is an early Bitcoin investor, so if I'm not mistaken, he he has some heft behind himself, and uh, he's always been very solid on this whole issue. Uh, I don't know if he's a hardcore libertarian, but he seems like one to me from his uh, his natural sort of uh, – Yeah, he's pretty pirate. good. He, he, he votes, but, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> you know? But uh, Well, my – my wife made me vote last time, too, I will say. <laughs> yeah, I went with my wife, Donna. She had to vote for Dr. Paul in the 08 election in the primary. And she goes in, and I go, all right, I'll go with you, but I ain't doing it. And, man, what a mess that was. I'm going, no, 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 no. I think in the 08, I took my son, a young son, and I, I went there to show him what it's like. And he went into the booth with me, and uh, I cast a blank ballot. 
that's that's an option here in Texas. And uh, so I, I voted with by saying blank ballot. You know, I'm you not know what I did? You. I printed up a piece of paper, put my voter ID on it, and it said, I vote for Ron Paul, big letters on a you know parchment paper, eight and a half by 11, signed it, went in, checked in, handed it to him, walked out. And as I'm walking out, they go, it won't count. I'm like... God, it wasn't the other way either. <laughs> it's just, you know, I, I, it counted with me, peace out, and left. And I felt a lot better. You know, I'm going, look, man, I'm not playing in your system. So give me, uh, you know, kind of the, you know, if you're going to do a paragraph and you want to make a, a principled statement for pirates, give me a kind of a, you know, summary of what it would be. Oh, my God. Um, I can do it. Uh, how much time do we have? Uh, we got about uh, six minutes. Okay. Okay. So to understand the problem with intellectual property, okay, and then thus to understand what's what's why there's nothing wrong with so-called piracy, you have to understand what our basic property rights case is, and then you'll understand where IP fits. So let me give a condensed, condensed argument. I'm not going to argue for libertarianism, but I'm going to just describe what libertarians believe. What we believe, in essence, we call it the non-aggression principle voluntarism those are just shorthand words for the type of property rights that we believe in. okay the particular property rights system that we believe in which i believe is just a more consistent streamlined version of what uh, is behind all western modern civilization because to succeed we have to have had respected property rights to a certain degree so the view is this we live in a world where we can have conflict with each other most of us are somewhat social beings. We have some empathy for each other. We want to live together. We want to prosper in our lives. We want to use things without being molested. We also want our, our neighbors, our family members to do well too. So we have a certain social consciousness or mentality. And because of this, we realize there's a possibility of conflict. That is, someone can want to use my body without my permission, or they might want to use a resource that I'm using. Okay, these are the means of action that Mises talked about. Yeah, it sounds like and because taxes. Of, well, yes, a tax means they want to take some of my property, and they say they own it now. So the question is, whenever there's a dispute, we need to have a mechanism or a property rule system that says who owns it, and the the property rights. Tilt your camera we, down a little bit, will you please? Sure. There you go. Thank you. I didn't know we were video, but okay, fine. Um, the property rules that we libertarians believe in is basically the classical liberal or Lockean system, which is applied very consistently, which is two or three very simple rules. Whenever there's a dispute over who owns a resource, okay, the body is special. The body is owned by the person himself. Okay, so we don't believe in slavery. That's simple. But for all other things, the question is who owns it? And we answer that by asking who had it first? That's called Lockean homesteading or original appropriation. Who had the thing first? He has a better claim than other people. Number two, did they con did an owner contractually uh, transfer it to someone else, like contract? In which case, that person has a better claim than even the original owner because it was given to him. And then number three, uh, restitution or rectification for crimes or torts. If you hurt someone, you owe them recompense. You owe them compensation. So you might owe them some of your property to pay them back. But other than those three rules, that's all you need, and then the legal system works out the fine details. Okay, So that's the basics of what property rights are. Property rights are rules for saying who owns a contested or contestable resource, which we call scarce resources, by which we, we mean rivalrous, things that there can be conflict over.
Okay, yeah. so that's the that's the basics of what libertarianism is for. Now, when someone says intellectual property, what they mean is that some third party is granted a right by the state that lets them come in and control your property. They can tell you you can't use your body in this way. You can't use your house in this way. You can't use your printing press in this way. You can't use your factory in this way to make a certain widget. Now. They don't have that right because the other people are the owners of those things. So IP rights are basically an infringement of property rights because it takes away the control, the control rights that are already owned by people. And this idea is so pernicious and so insidious, it could spread and spread and spread. It's patent law. It's copyright law. It's boat hole designs. It's the Semiconductor Mask Work Protection Act. It's database rights. It's moral rights. It's trade secrets. It's trademark law. It's even defamation law, the idea that you have a right to your reputation. right? It's, it's all these rules that expand and expand and expand. You have the fashion industry wanting it too now. You have the other industries wanting this. You have the newspaper industry wanting a right to headlines. They don't want to be scooped even by headlines on Drudge or whatever. Mm -hmm. So – this idea is pernicious, it's insidious, it's anti-capitalist. The fundamental thing we have to recognize is that learning is good. Information is good. It's good if more people have information. It's good if people copy each other and learn from each other. It's good if they compete with each other. That's what competition is about. You don't have a right to your customers. You don't have a right to your future profits. You don't have a right to the money that would be in your pocket if you didn't have competition. So ultimately, patent and copyright are about suppressing the free market, about restricting competition and being protectionist, and we're against protectionism, right? and about suppressing thought and speech. You should be able to make whatever video you want, use whatever song you want, and the idea is that you're not stealing when you use something public. The thing is that if someone comes up with an idea and they make it public, then they are releasing it to the public. If they don't want other people to learn or emulate them or to know what they're doing, they should keep their ideas to themselves. But if they open their mouths and they give information to people, they have no right whatsoever to expect people not to use that information in whatever way they want for, for profit, uh, for creativity, whatever. I'm I I'm I'm with you. My thing is is that um Alan has always been for years he's more Republican. It's a gun thing. And the libertarians they keep making, you know, advance kind of then it's all kind of well we libertarians. He starts going he he sees the advantage of claiming to be a libertarian. Except on this copyright thing, you dumb libertarian losertarians. If you change this, then you'd be successful because this is what it hinges on your weight, and you need to get the pedophiles in Hollywood to support you. I mean, but, you know. But, but, you, but you noticed that he didn't want to defend patent. Even he senses something wrong with the patent system. Yeah. No, 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 no. And a lot of it was in, I'm sure, in the research that he was doing in preparation. In his, in his presentation, I could just hear a whole bunch of Stefan Kinsella, man. It was just, a, yeah, well, they say and do, but it's different on copyright, which is why he wanted to focus on it. But he would say that, and then at the same time, he would go, well, and my property and this and that, and he would keep trying to use law, the king, the church, property rights to validate his position on intellectual property. And I'm going, you know, I, we're pretty clear on this. You don't want it to be propagated or explained or shared or taken or used, then don't tell me. 
You know, don't sit there and try to, I got to take a spoon to my brain and try and carve out where I got what. You're standing on the shoulders of a whole bunch of stuff, and I don't want to be limited. I refuse to. And technology is freeing me. You know, the technological advances kind of making this all moot, Stefan? I think, um, yes, and that's a good thing. Yeah, me too. Me too. Me. Any f- parting thought? Oh, give out your webpage where you want people to go. Get all things Stefan Kinsella. On this issue, c4sif.org. 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 All right, Donna, make sure you get that into the arc. Donna's putting it up there. They can just click on it and go learn everything. Stefan Kinsella. The free state. Pro- there we go. Thank you, Stefan. That was fun. Yeah, it's fine. No, this is what you're up against. This is what I hear all the time. This is and and it's not good enough to say, look, man, how do I build on which part of and kind of? No, I'm not. I, I don't recognize some king king's grand of monopoly of an idea. I, no, I'm not doing it. Well, then you're you know, and it just goes from there. And I'm glad you're there because without uh, uh, you being able to help us with this thought process. You know, I don't know where else to go because uh, you've been kind of the touchstone for this for a long time. Do you get a lot of these opportunities to speak and explain yourself? I do. I mean, you, it's, it's like with libertarianism, right? Like you, you find yourself hearing the same old arguments from newbies that you've heard refuted a thousand times. And it gets a little bit frustrating and tedious to have to redo it over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't mind doing it over and over again, but you kind of wish that people that wanted to, you know, bear their balls in public would at least do a little homework first. And they almost never do because they ask questions that have been debunked so many times. Yeah. Finish your thought. Donna, uh, um, email me Alan's email. I'm going to forward, you know, from Stefan here to him. The, um, yeah, this is, uh, um, there is, we're going to be doing other events, speaking events and stuff here. And I might focus on this a little bit. I'll, I'll let you know, cause I'd like, uh, you know, this to get out a little bit. I think it's good information that people should know. And it's just, it's a concept that's going, but I, I I'm looking at, um, um, it's always what's in somebody's own self-interest. A, a good friend of mine, he's just he's a big movie buff, man. He's like, uh, movies won't get made unless you have this copyright of whatever. And then there'll be something comes out, and I'm like, eh, I wouldn't go to the movie to see it, or maybe I don't just in the privacy of my own home, and I Cody stream it, and that just pisses him off. He goes, ah, you should. I go, yeah, that doesn't bother me one well, bit. And, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, you libertarians just want things for free, and you know, actually, that's not what motivates me because I, I have plenty of money and I can buy movies and I do it. But, it, but what's wrong with wanting something for free? Like that's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> but same thing with this white privilege stuff. It's like uh, I say, wait a second. I'm working so my kid has privilege. I want my kid to have privilege. I, th- I, I thought privilege was something you aspired to. When did having privilege become a bad thing? <laughs> I, you know, it's it's what we're up against, and I I think what is it? It all comes down to just what's practical. Well, I remember a scene from Social Network. They were talking about the beginnings of Facebook and so on. And Justin Timberlake played the character of the guy that did uh, Napster or something. And then they go, "Oh, well, see, you got shut down." He goes, "Yeah, are you buying stock in Tower Records?" Anymore? Probably not. 
You know, it yeah. just makes all these things moot. It doesn't matter. Well, they're going to, you know, China and they're, you know, pirating every freaking thing and kind of, well, you're, you're, we need intellectual, we need a trade agreement so you won't do that anymore of kind of, you know, and it's a culture thing. And what happens when, Chinese start getting all libertarianized and understand the concept of it's not, and probably they already have that culture anyway. You're trying to control what I can make in my own machine and sell. Oh, screw you. And you call well, yourself capitalist? <laughs> let me ask you, uh, do you want to do another hour? Because, I mean, I don't, what is your plan for your next hour? Well, no, my show's over. It goes six to nine, uh, Arizona. It's nine to noon. So we're at the end of the show. So we can keep oh, talking so I, if I you got time. First hour. Okay. No, 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 no. I, I thought I. Yeah, I remember I could only do two, but uh, yeah. No, no so if you want, well, you know, if you got something to, to share, go, man. You know, go ahead and, uh, you know, I, I'd love to hear how this battle is going. Tell me about the battle on the front and on the Internet, because I'm not paying attention. I don't care. You know, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Technology makes it mood anyway. You guys can whine all you want. So, but they're trying to change laws and prosecute and extend, 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 and pretend that, you know, they're doing good. And uh, how's the battle going from your perspective? Well, I, I think that the uh, the the influence of the uh, of the IP uh, I, I don't know what you want to call it. there there must be a term we could come up with to call the the, the, the big American industries that are heavily dependent upon IP right uh, uh, pharmaceuticals Hollywood and music okay and software to a degree software those like split between the protectionist side and the open source side but so like a very narrow segment of American life has dominated the Congress and because of America's hegemony over the rest of the world has dominated the world's IP systems. It's, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, um, and it's a never-ending battle. They sneak this stuff into every fucking law and treaty they can think of. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, as I said, there is an increasing awareness by younger people like, what the hell? is What's wrong with Cutting and pasting and mixing and all this kind of stuff. See, right? it gets so bad. The government, they're their own worst enemy. It gets to a point where you have pirate parties spring up and screw all y'all. Yes. It's sort of like Trump. I mean, Trump, I think, is not great, obviously, but he's a phenomenon that arose in response to a lot of excesses of the left and the social justice warriors, right? Yep. People are sick of being told that they're abominables or what is that, a basket of deplorables or whatever. And, and uh, you know, to my mind, most a lot of the people that voted for Trump are natural Democrat voters. You know, blue collar types. They would vote. They would vote for a nice conservative redistributionist Democrat party. But the the Democrats are so fucking stupid that they just can't help but bash the rubes, right? Make act condescending to them talk about abortion and transgender rights all the time and prefixes and pronouns and they alienate their natural voters which i'm glad they do because it means that you know the democrats are going to have a delay when they finally assume total power <laughs> you know but i find something is similar with the with the other phenomena too i mean what do you think about it uh specifically about what well this well the, the, the trump versus uh you know okay okay Democrat. let me let me let me give you my spiel when <clears throat> trump came down the escalator this is what june july of uh 15 when he came down a, a gentleman uh, a friend of mine here dr frank tambury he goes man don't be a hater but i want to come on the show every thursday and we're going to do the trump report 
We have been doing every Thursday for at least two to five hours, and we'll go long every Thursday for over two years that the Trump report. Now, he was a Ron Paul uh, supporting Republican of Ron Paul. Well, what happens is, and he you know, ran as a libertarian doing different stuff, so he's libertarianized. But his parents, his father, and his uncles have a high-rise steel construction business building high-rises in Philadelphia, so they're on the same Christmas card list of whatever. So when he's, like, around the family dinner table or Thanksgiving or something, he's surrounded by Trumps. He read his book. He knows it. He goes, look, you're gonna, let me tell you what's going to happen. He made a big dollar bet, and he's going to win. Well, everything that he's been saying has been right. We do uh, debate parties here since 07. I mean, we've done, God, dozens and dozens of them. Every debate, holy crap, how many is there going to be? So when we're here and we do it and the Trump thing was going on, we're like, you know, they're interested because to see what Rand did. And all of a sudden, you could see what was going to happen. They are so pissed off that he's tweeting and bypassing their control grid of whatever. He just goes straight to the people of Fireside Chat and I get to say what I want. Well, what were the common thing uh, statements by a lot of the activists? Well, they're going, God, the Democrats hate him. Uh, hell, the Republicans hate him. The media hates him. He's my guy, you know? And it was nothing other than that. He was a representative of this uh, anti-establishment thing, as much as a billionaire can be anti-establishment. But it was just this this feeling of we're just pissed off, mad as hell, and screw all y'all. And it wasn't so much a support for Trump, I think, and sure as hell, libertarians for the wall. But then you got guys like Walter Block out there, libertarians for Trump, you know, and that just pissed everybody off. Now yeah. you see where you got the coke to puss and all the reason and the LP and the national chair, Nick Sarwark, lives here. We've had him on the show quite a bit. Well, when they started going after Mises and Tom Woods and Murphy and Ron Paul and Jeff Deist and Lou Rockwell and, and so on. Sarwark went after me. Yeah, I didn't why? Because I stupid petition. Because I'm going, what? yeah, this petition, I'm going, it was, a, it was an appeal to the left. It was this weld thing. It was like, we're going to get support from and we hate Trump and there's sort of somebody promised us money or something. And I'm going, you guys are so far off. And I did the show and I had Tom Woods, Bob Murphy, Nick Sarwark, and Ron Paul on talking about this issue. And it Not just... Together. Not together, right? No, separately, you know, within like a week. So what happened is that, you know, Nick, I think they found out that they went to a buzzsaw more than what, you know, they anticipated. So the New Orleans Convention, a whole bunch of Mises guys, they go, all right, you guys want to rock? You want to play? Let's go play. And the reason they were attacking you guys is I see that this intellectual, exactly what Alan is talking about, this thought process that we have that applies to everything consistently, what property really is and what the proper role of government is, if there even was, one and the reason is to declare your independence, you know, with Ernest Hancock, is because the Declaration made it very clear: the only purpose of government is defense of individual rights, or you alter or abolish. I'm like, I'm hip to that. The thing is, is that these guys see you and this thought process as a threat. There is no way that they're going to consolidate the youth in the future around the idea we rule you better when you got the ideas of you know Ron Paul at all and Woods and you and all these guys. They're just nah, we got to go after them. We got to call them racist and they didn't sign the paper of whatever the hell well they overplayed their hand and they played yes. right in this social justice thing and they didn't yes. realize it and i'm going you guys are so stupid you know, i've seen this over yes. and over yes. this attack on this and they don't realize what they're the buzzsaw they went into your opinion well i totally agree with you i think that um i think it backfired on them i think they're in a bubble a little bit like the you know 
these Democrat people in the bubble cities, Cal- San Francisco, New York, whatever. Like, I've never met someone who voted for Bush. I don't know how he won or, or, or Trump or whatever. It's like because you're not in reality. Um, look, I don't, I don't need some nobody, anonymous person to twist my arm to come out and declare that I'm against fascism when I'm already obviously against fascism, and especially when the message is so convoluted and riddled with little SJW kind of things. Right? Make the cake. So- make the cake. I baked it. We got a libertarian guy. Force him to bake the cake. We had a party, a pool party here. Nick is over with his family. He's up against the wall in the shallow end, and everybody's surrounded. Man, they're just beating up on him, and he's doing the mental gymnastics of an attorney and appealing to the left of, we got to make the baker bake the cake for the gay couple because you got to bake the cake because you're out in the pub bake the cake. And I'm going, this is an issue? That libertarians, you go, what? How the hell is that even? They're just appealing to something. It's I, I, They're just mental gymnastics to get think, some I benefit. They're, I think they're, they're kissing ass. And, and you know what? That's why I, I understand <laughs> I understand the uh, the pressure to do that for some people. Uh, I, I personally believe in life. You should live a life where you try to achieve a position where you can have integrity and do what you believe in. So I've done that. I've achieved a life where I can say whatever the fuck I want, and if I piss off someone, I don't care because I don't need them. Okay, and in, even if I lose all my fans and audience, so be it. So I think it's good to be independent, and I've tried to do that. And I'm not going to kiss ass and run around and kiss ass to people that I don't even respect as much as as myself. You know, I mean. I'm not going to sign a declaration that has a bunch of people that sign it that I think are ass-kissing compromisers. And I don't even know who the author is, and I don't know if he could change the words. You know, I think like, I, it was kind of a center for uh, – anarch- what, CAS? You know, uh, was center for a um, – yeah, whatever it was. You know, and- well, I – I know who did. It was Jason, Jason Lee Bias, who's a friend of mine. I, he wrote it. I know that now, but it was anonymous at first. Okay, and yeah, fine. It was so- an a- a- appeal. Well, I tell you what it came from. It, when, in my opinion, when Bill Weld became the VP, uh, I was at the or- New Orleans, I mean, uh, the Orlando, I'm um, shit, where the hell was it? Um, 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 anyway, the last LP convention, Orlando. Yeah, that's where it was in Orlando. I'm, uh, I'm there and, uh, you know, I'm just having fun flying the wall and I get my boat and get to have my say and whatever and say it. Are you, you know, I'm a, I won't stab you in the back. You wouldn't say that. Will you stab us in the back? Or you go, I'm a card carrying, card carrying member of a lifetime card carrier. And I'm going, that, you didn't say it, say it. Say it, say it. Nick, you know, came out and saved him. And the thing is, is that I talked to Bill Weld, and I know Gary Johnson fairly well, and we were supportive of his efforts. Even did fundraisers for him just to give him a voice. But the thing is, is that we're going to have a flat tax, and uh, you know, we got to have you know these kind of bake the cake, and we're going. And then here comes Bill Weld, and I'm going. They're trying to appeal to this Council on Foreign Coke to something or whatever the hell they're trying to do is what Alan is saying. He would be very happy. 
happy with these if he thought it would give him more votes. If it thought you know, your mother-in-law would have more respect for you, you know, the, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm going, it doesn't matter to me. It's a principle thing. The the market will determine. The people will eventually come. Our, they are. That's what's scaring the establishment. They're freaking out. And you and uh, um, Woods and Murphy and Diced and Lou and Ron represent this Rothbardian thing. And that was the beginning salvo. They were going, yeah, you're just a Rothbardian. You Roth-. And I remember them calling me a Rothbardian in the mid-90s. I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. They are calling me like Wait. a racial slur or something. Did, I go did, read them and I go, yeah, what well, he uh, said. <laughs> did you see the brouhaha about the helicopter? No. Oh, man, you missed it. Oh, so- give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Oh, this is hilarious. It's all, it's all over Twitter and Facebook and everything. And so about, what, three, four weeks ago, the Mises Institute had their 35th anniversary uh, event in New York City, which I went to, and I brought my wife for the first time. She's met my, my crazy libertarian friends, et cetera, right? So I wanted her to meet Hoppe, basically, and uh, Guido Holzman. So what, should anyway, I, what should I look up to you know, find Oh, just it? go to uh, Mises.org and go to events. You'll see the 35th. Oh, oh, if you want to see this event, I'll send you a couple of links. But look up uh, uh, Michael Malice Hoppe Helicopter. That's probably your keywords. Michael Malice Hoppe Helicopter. Okay. All it was go. hilarious. Right, so tell me about it. You know how there's like this meme about uh, Pinochet and the helicopters dropping his enemies out of a helicopter or something? Okay, yeah. So because Hans Hermann Hoppe has this sort of uh, forced physical removal uh, meme that surrounded him about getting – ejecting people from your community that are not – Basically, libertarians, you know, something like that. So that became the Hoppe dropping people out of helicopters meme, right? And he didn't have anything to do with it. It was just these crazy people on the internet. No, I got a picture here of him and you, and he's holding the helicopter. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. And so, so when I was in New York City three or four weeks ago for the Mises event, um, I was at a reception, and Michael Malice, who I've been friends with but I'd never met in person, walked up to me, and we were giggling and laughing we took some pictures together and he told me he had just given hans hoppe a toy helicopter as a gift and he sent me the picture it was hilarious so he you know he gave hans a helicopter it's a, it's a joke right and i posted it but i was with hans later at a, at a bar having drinks that night and i said hey what's this about the helicopter and so he pulled it out of his pocket and we took a picture and i posted it and all hell broke loose because oh kinsella you're condoning Political violence against your enemies. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ, don't you lefties have any sense of humor? It's like, well, I don't think that the Holocaust is a laughing matter. It's like, well, it about the Holocaust. No, no, it's no, no. About- I'll tell you what's going on. I had Woods on, and I said, you need to talk to Ron about this stuff, the history. I don't think you guys realize what you're up against. This is a campaign. I can feel it coming. This is something that's going to manifest itself in New Orleans. I'm like, everybody get your ticket to leave on Tuesday because Wait, I could see them changing. I'm sorry? What's happening in New Orleans? It's the uh, Libertarian National Convention, you know, that, uh, you know, the mid-election, whatever the hell. So they're going to be doing chair, and they're going to be new LNCs. New, it's in New Orleans this uh, July or whatever. And oh. I go, they trying to change bylaws, and so I could see, and I get up, and I said, look, I just want you to know what they're doing. They're changing this so that on Monday, after everybody goes home on Sunday, they're going to F you, man. You're screwed. So if you guys don't go, you better get your return ticket on Tuesday, because here it comes. And the reason is, is because they 
see the anarchists, the voluntarists are starting to invade back into the party. And I've been doing this, you know, I ran for national chair four times just to bring attention to this. I'm going, look, you guys need to understand what they're doing. And this is they see you in this philosophy as a threat. And everybody wants to control the kingmaker. They want to control the LP. They have the local and national. This philosophy of this Rothbardian of Leave Me Alonis kind of thing is infecting too many minds. And this internet deal, they got to deal with it and make you all racist and you didn't sign you're not a Nazi. And I'm going, I'm libertarian. Of course I'm not a Nazi. You shut up. You know, I let them keep yapping. I'll bring them on the show. Go ahead and tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I, yeah, so I hear you and I, I, uh, I just look. I'm not a member of the LP. I've never been a member of the LP. I did run for office one time on on their ticket, but I'm not a member of it. And I'm I'm supportive, but I don't think they're synonymous with libertarianism. And I think that most LP members, especially the hardcore ones, they tend not to be that good libertarians. They're 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 into their little microcosm of power and their petty crap, right? And they're they're usually minarchists or many status. So they're not. I have. They're not theorists. I've, this is not my interest. I'm interested in people that have insights into Austrian economics or into modern politics from a from a you know from a radical perspective, uh, or who can make a change. And I just don't think the LP is that. I don't blame them for that. It's not their fault that we have. You know what we called the LP? We always call it the Liberty Nexus, and it was like uh, one guy put it really well. Drew Phillips from Bitcoin Not Bombs. He goes, "You know what the LP conventions are like? It's like it's like the high school dance. It's where you go to find out where the real party is." Yeah, you know? okay, fine. I That's mean, it's fine. just it's just a lot of these people. We've made all these networks, and the party, the libertarian philosophy, is much bigger than the LP to the point that it's gotten out of their control. When people think libertarian, they don't think libertarian party. They might think Ron Paul evolution or voluntarist or somebody they know or something. But the LP is so far from right. you know what it originally set up to be. And they keep trying to change it all the time. They're just, you know, I, I think they pissed off so many real libertarians by attacking you guys. I'm going, I don't think you guys know what the hornet nest, you you better be busting a whole shitload of people in New Orleans. Well, this, this okay, this this guy's so work. I mean, to just launch an attack on, I mean, Wood, Tom Woods is like very, very popular, very principled, very hardworking, very well-known in the movement as being a principled, radical libertarian. For, for Sawark to attack him out of the blue for nothing, it's just bizarre. Stupid. And, and then to, <laughs> he attacked me. Uh, look, I was getting pressure from people behind the scenes, sign this petition, and I, I just said, I'm not going to sign it, and I just did a Facebook post explaining why I'm not signing it. I mean – and 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 of course, then the haters start. Oh, I guess you're a Nazi or whatever. It's like, if that's all you guys have left, you've lost. It was a troll you've campaign. Lost. It was an appeal to the left if we get some promised some money. And I called Nick I, on the air. I'm going, Nick, you can buy the Libertarian Party for a well placed ten thousand dollars and a hundred thousand dollars. You ruled all the states and kind of too. And I'm going, you guys are cheap hoes. If you're going to be a hoe, be an expensive hoe. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. quit being hoes. Yeah. It's interesting, but I look, Ernie. You know, my my I like this. I I I'm trying to finish my book on libertarian legal theory. I like theory. I like libertarian principles. I like philosophical and legal theoretic reasoning about things. Austrian economics. The other, st- and then I think that in your life, it's a different issue. You know, you you live your life. You try to succeed. You you do what you are passionate about, what you're good at, and you take care of your family and your friends, and you have a good career. 
But it's, life is a mixture of these things. I don't think libertarianism is everything. I, I would never have been – I would never – it would never appeal to me the idea that, hey, come move to New Hampshire. You can live around a bunch of libertarians. I mean what's that mean? I'm going to live around a bunch of people who are going to like not pay their rent and try to couch surf all the time. I mean not to be critical. I understand we're a marginal movement, but there's nothing especially attractive about living around a bunch of libertarians. I would like society to be more libertarian in general. Well, isn't that happening? Don't you feel that we're I, – I, I do think it's happening. I think there's a soft libertarian uprising. Culture. It's all about you – know, I tell you, this is my focus and why we're doing the Pirates Without Borders thing. I really am encouraged by you participating in that. You know, don't, don't forget. And I need you – know, if you got just a paragraph of some concept you want to make sure it gets in, read the first and second letters, and you'll see how it's formatted yep, and how it's going. Uh, just go to PiratesWithoutBorders.com. You know, you can do it right now, and you can see the first and second letters, and it's also recorded. Ben Stone, the bad Quaker, read it. You know, he's the, the voice on it. So this is, um, and Paul Rosenberg was really instrumental in uh, some of these, you know, the concepts in there too. I but, thought Ben had kind of retired for health reasons. Um, yeah, back, he's not doing now? a lot, but he's definitely all in on this. I mean, you know, he's, uh, you know, this is, you know, gets them all motivated. <laughs> so we're having fun. The, um, you know, my, my whole point on that was to promote the decentralization of everything. If you look on the right, it says, you know, build the ship. We're going to, you know, that'll be a fun project. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you know, the website now. Yeah, it's communication, energy, what, decentralization of everything. So yep. I'm looking, no central authority, no permission asking. You read the first and second letter, you'll get it. The point is, is that promotion of this decentralization of everything is just an opinion. See, everybody thinks that, well, if I don't get the sanction of some shiny badge with a fine hat and the available gun and a clipboard, you know, then it, it, it ain't so. I don't give a crap what they, I'm a pirate, man. I'm against all flags. And that's what we found out was a pirate. It wasn't so much that you're raping pillaging or anything. It was if you were not recognized by any, you didn't recognize a flag, well, all the states and crowns and everybody comes, oh, you're a pirate because you against all flags. And I'm going, yep. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something like that with uh, wearing a, uh, a uniform during a war. Yep. You represent a side. Well, see, the thing is, they don't have a problem with privateers or a letter of Mark. They go, that's why it's Mark, Captain Mark. You know, his letter of Captain Mark. Because what the Crown does, it says, here, you have permission slip, you know, for me to go rape and pillage the Spanish galleon and I get a cut, you're good. You know, but if you go, no, I don't want to have nothing to do with all y'all. Hell no, you're not allowed to do that. So the promotion of the decentralization of everything is just a an opinion. This is where the culture comes in. If you get everybody just saying, you know, I think this should and I don't like that, all of a sudden you get Trump selected. And my point is, is that it's just an opinion. And that's where you and Mises and Rothbard and all these guys come in, is that opinion is infectious. And it has a, a, a tried and true, stayed, this is constant way of thinking. And that's what Ron Paul represented. When these young people go back and look at his previous writings, they go, well, hell, he's been saying this for freaking ever. And I go, yeah, you know, this is what this is about. That's why you have to be attacked. You guys represent the seed kernel of this idea springing in the minds of everybody. And I saw it happen during the Levolution. I would go to Porkfest and you see these guys on their Kindle downloading a bunch of Mises Rothbard of reading and they're all up on the kind of well-read of why uh, they got an opinion. And I'm going, damn, they're not going to be able to compete with that. You know, this is, and, and then them to even try was just stupid and an act of 
Somebody either paid them or desperation or something. I don't know what the hell they were thinking, but here it comes. I mean, you're, you're muted. You know, I, I can't hear you. All right, sorry. There you go. Yeah, I'm back now. Anyway, I can't see you, by the way. Can you flip yourself on? Yeah, I can do that. How there about you that? are. Okay, there you go. Yeah, anyway, mm -hmm. I got to go in a second. But yeah, uh, look, what, what what can you say? I, I just, I mean, did did it hurt the sore work guy? Or I, it seemed to me that it did, but I hear people on the other side. You know, I, it, when you get to the point where you're calling people fascist or Nazi, when they're basically libertarian, now, I'm not an alt-right fan. I don't like those guys. They are weird, and I don't like racism. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with conceptually distinguishing between racism and and libertarianism. They're different They're different things, right? I mean, opposition to racism and opposition to tyranny. Okay, so we're libertarians. That means we're, we're, we're in favor of private property rights and people live, getting along together. We tend to be cosmopolitan and modernist. I'm not a racist in, by any sensible definition, and I don't like racists, but I don't like d calling everything racist. Yeah, no, it, it, it's there. Then you lose the power of the word. Right. It's like calling everything rape, yeah, you know? I, 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 it, it was, this rape. was a technique. They wanted to seed the internet with this kind of it just campaign. I can see it going. It's going to, I'm going, it is so neon freaking obvious to an activist like me have been through this so many times. They're just seeding the conversation out there. It's kind of, I, I had Nick on and I go, yeah, this sounds like the racist Ron Paul papers. Everybody was talking. Yes, exactly. And Hans Hermann Hoppe is one of the worst of them. I mean, he was there rattling off everybody and anyone that they, you know, like uh, they go, Tom Woods had, you know, the Nazi, what's his face? Chris Cantrell on. He had Cantrell Chris on. Cantwell. I go, Pardon me? Chris Cantwell. Yeah, yeah, Cantwell. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Cantwell. He had, he had Cantwell. I go, yeah, so did I. I just let him talk. You know, I'm going, yeah. yep, okay, yep, and? Well, it, whoa, whoa, whoa. I go, who, so what? I, I mean, you know, well, he was not, you know, he didn't beat him up enough or something. I go, shut up. This is, I, and, and it's just like with this intellectual thing. They're just trying to shut down debate. They want to have you painted as a fascist before you even start. There's something else a common. And money, I get because it was not a philosophical argument, and it was not to their advantage. So somebody paid. There was some influence. Somebody influenced something. Here it comes. So I can feel it. They're coming into New Orleans, and we're going to sit there and have some fun either way it comes out i don't care it's that we're going to learn something i go yeah. you guys get it now do you see you see how many they bust in if they got the plan they're going to take over and change and do well you got the witness it peace out we're out of here or they change it and we get more anarchists because i've seen on the lnc it was about you know 30 to 40 something percent of them were the voluntarist hardcore kind of people going they didn't <laughs> see the invasion coming so i'm yeah now what well nick he would be if he got elected National chair this time, it would be the first time national chair has gone the same guy three times in a row. Well, I'm going, do I need to run or is there somebody else? Well, a bunch of the Mises kids when I was at the Aspen Institute for the Nexus Earth Conference, you know, where, you know, a bunch of the guys were like Judge Napolitano and Ron Paul. Hey, I'd, support and, you. I'd support you. Well, you know, well, the thing, I, I'm hoping not. You know, I, I, you know, I don't need a fifth. I don't care. But I'm going to go there and have some fun. The thing is, is I'm hoping these guys come up with someone that cares more and they're hardcore. But if not, shit, man, I, you know, sign me up. Let's do a debate. But well, to me, hardcore is one thing. I can understand having a somewhat 
uh, incrementalist approach. Okay, that might be the best tactic, but to, you got to be honest and principled, and you can't attack people that in, in a very harmful way, right? Based on dishonest reasons. Yeah, don't you call didn't sign it, Nazi. You didn't sign them, it. Don't call them racist or Nazis <laughs> or fascist uh, without really good evidence. Don't do that. I it's 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 already blown up in their face. There's way too much. I don't I don't think they really realized what they were up against. And they, they keep underestimating the this philosophy. They keep underestimating, you know, the ideas of Rothbard and Ron Paul and, and, and you and Woods and all. I mean, they keep missing it. They don't get it. And I've seen because they're looking at it from just a database or how much money you got to raise or, you know, the uh, various different, you know, uh, groups and students for whatever. They'll go to some popular Liberty on the Rocks meetup and they go, we need one guy. You need somebody in charge. OK, here's a bunch of money. We got, And this is happened or it's like a it's like a technique they come in with some money they give it to them they say there's one guy and we get to have a table at your next three meetings right. or whatever right. then they take all the database and get everybody once they got the email the money pulls the thing falls and it's not organic and it wasn't spontaneous order anymore because we call it steiger's law Whenever you create an organization around a movement or a concept or an idea, sooner or later, the organization, every time, not most of the time, every time the organization becomes more important than the reason you created it. And that yep. is what they're doing. They're trying to support this, this entity or they can bleed off on or use or it's a block of votes they can go and, you know, uh, a lobby with or something. And I'm going, that is not what libertarians are about. And it's gotten big enough and influential enough in the context has gone from our first emails in 93 when we started finding out a bunch of legislation and concepts being down to every municipality across the planet. And we're going, oh, we're up against a philosophy of they, them, those won't leave us alone. When you have enough people understand that and get the education from the things that you're talking about and be able to incorporate this into an opinion, they're going away. And it's so neon obvious, but they're desperate. They're desperate yeah. to get some little, you know, in into this libertarian movement. And the easiest way, cheapest way is the libertarian party. But they don't realize how small that is in the scope yeah. of everything. Yeah. In my opinion. Right. All right. Well, look, my brother, I got to go. But uh, good talking to you. Thanks for having me on. And uh, if you want to do something else some other time, we can do it. Constantly. I'm going to bug the living crap out of you. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Hey, thanks, Stefan, for coming on, man. It was awesome. Keep up the good work. Thank you. You too, brother. Bye.